This, this, this is a Tape Deck Podcast. everybody, it's H, and welcome to the latest installment of Escape Hatch, your portal into cinematic pocket universes. This week, I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Jason. This is not a movie that you would expect to be able to pass the Bechdel test. And we welcome the showrunner of Max's Game of Thrones House of the Dragon and co-host of The Stuff Dreams Are Made Of, Ryan Condal. Jesus Christ, that was just the first act! We tackle one of the 21st century's first sacred texts. Mad Max Fury Road. If you're enjoying the show, we need your help. Take a minute to leave us a five-star rating and a review wherever you listen to your podcast, or just tell your friends about us because it really does help new listeners find the show. We also have a Discord server where you can hang out with us online whenever you want, and a Patreon where you can support us and unlock exclusive perks. Links are in the show notes. And now, without further ado, Fury Road. Listen, we don't have time for this shit, okay? Like, we gotta go. We don't have, we're too old. <laughs> we're we're too old for this. <laughs> we gotta move. We are under the clock. This episode is gonna be racing. We actually got plenty of time, to be honest. We got two and a half hours. How much time do we need? I don't like constraints. I like, I like. <laughs> you don't, <laughs> you wanna know that this could go five hours. And it's only two be. hours and 20 minutes, Jason. All right. We've already lost 10 minutes. Uh, take it around. How you doing, buddy? Good to see you. Good to see you too. Okay. <laughs> that's it. That's the warm up. That's it. That's the, that's the warm-up. Listen, here's why here's why we're in a hurry. Uh our dear friend coming today. He yes. is he's coming straight from an interview with Anthony Daniels to talk to Can us. Can you believe it? What a what a letdown for him. <laughs> Good luck. Uh I'm happy to be Is he talking to Anthony Daniels for um stuff that dreams are made of? I believe so. I believe so. Wow. Uh, or are they just like having a little Zoom date? Oh, I don't know, dude. Right. I, I will, well that'll be something we'll have to ask about. So we'll we'll get to there. But but our dear friend uh, co-host of the stuff dreams are made of, and also little thing. He's the showrunner of House of the Dragon, which is now in post production. Ryan Condal. Ryan Condal. Yeah, I have some prop related questions. Yes. Oh, believe me, we're going to be getting into it. I have samples. Like there's there's a lot of stuff that's going to be going on. So so we're stoked to have Ryan. He's done it all with us. Uh, most recently, yeah. Wrath of Khan, which is one of our instant legend episodes, just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. But I just let, I was like, pick whatever you want, dude. And he picked Mad Max Fury Road. What a pick. People like this movie. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I like this movie. I watched this movie recently and I was like, this is a good movie. <laughs> I was excited to watch it for the pod and it was better than I was, I was anticipating. Yeah. Cannot wait. So we'll get into that in just a few minutes uh, when Ryan joins us. Next week, however, talk about kings on the podcast for their return, Jeremiah Gordon. Uh, uh, I was getting praise from someone I was talking to the other day, just like recently for his last, for his Boys in the Hoods appearance. He's a fan favorite. It's so great. Yeah, it's such a great episode and he is so much fun and and just an incredible guy. So we're so- Hopefully he'll be drunk again. (laughs) He'll get there. Um, (laughs) So he is joining us and we are finally on the pod tackling our very- First, Denzel. Yes. 
This is it. Uh, and I let him pick from the list. He he did suggest Mo Better Blues, which I thought was a little, it was like one of my favorite college movies, but is very far outside the mainstream. Um, so I retargeted us to his classic with Clive Owen and Denzel and Jodie Foster, Inside Man. Yeah, that's a good one. I've actually seen that one. Now that you mentioned the whole cast. Mm. Oh yeah, incredible, incredible film. I had not seen it. I haven't seen it since it came out. Yeah. Uh, oh, you haven't watched? Oh, because you got sick. So we're rescheduling. Jason got sick. Uh, you know, we've been we've been under the gun all year. That's but, right. Um, I watched it twice, uh, prepping for the for it. So I'm going to rewatch it again. So can't can't wait. Um, so that is coming next week, and it is going to rule. Great. How about Hatch News? Would you like to know more? News from beyond. It's great. You're healthy enough that you could really get that going. Yeah, I can really put it, put some oomph into it. All right, bust it out, buddy. Give us, give us the hot Lego talk. I bought that shit. They announced <laughs> that they announced that ornithopter set with that giant barren minifig. People are going to spend 170 dollars just to get that minifig. Of course, it looks ridiculous. Yes. Um, and then I didn't even realize I didn't realize that the ornithopter flapped its wings yes. until I was watching a video of it. It's amazing. And the landers, the landing pods come down. The uh, the whatever. This is a good one. This is a good one. They've done it again. Those 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 guys in ballooned. They've done it again. So, so I as soon as I saw it, I texted uh, A under, and I was like, "Hey, here's you know, here's Christmas sorted, you know, just just right. check this out." And then, and then I found out it doesn't even come out till February. No, yeah, it's not. You're not gonna have it for Christmas. So I, I'm just gonna buy it. Myself. You have a receipt. You have a receipt for Christmas. <laughs> this is like the Kenner uh, Christmas, right? Where they had the empty boxes. Yeah, you get the little display That's display tough, box. Tough one. Uh, so we are very very excited about that. Um, Am I ready to reveal, Jason? I guess I will, even though Mikey P is on here. I've been keeping it secret. Oh. I finished Lego Rivendell oh. uh, earlier this week. Oh. And it is unbelievable. Easily. How many pieces is that? 3,300, I think, or something. It's a big one. It's big. It's a big one. 49, right. 49 bags. Um, and Mikey had done it before, and then I did it. Now Dale just got it um, and is working on it. Mm. However, as soon as I finished the assembly... I began the process of disassembling components of it because I bought that light my bricks shit. Um, oh yeah. So I'm going to be putting yeah, yeah, that yeah. stuff all over. It's complicated, Jason. There's a lot of circuits. It, it looked like it looked like too much for me to get into with that. What do you what do you have to do? You have to take it apart and put in like special lighty lighty bricks. They tell you each part to, each part to take, and then there's oh, wires, okay. and then those all feed oh. into connection boards, which feed to other expansion boards, and oh. some of them pulls. I really like how the Rivendell set how it has like the um like the statue minifigs. It's in that so one. cool. They're That's so really cool. cool. And if you look at the picture the I posted in the Discord, you can see the statues behind. From the still frame, um, from the from the movie, it's just it's an unbelievable set. Highly recommended. Looks great, looks great. All right, so that is uh, coming up. We'll get some reports on that, and we'll have pictures in the Discord when I get there. Uh, Jason SAG after and the studio is still meeting. Yes, this day two. they're gonna they're officially behind the election of the speaker now. They've got, they're, <laughs> they, they didn't beat they didn't beat that. Uh, good luck to them. We hope they, we hope they get an equitable resolution to their disputes with, uh, um, the studios. Yes. Uh, let's, let's just get there. I'm, <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. Cause I don't want when I don't want on February 1st when the ornithopter drops, that'll be the announcement that Dune is two is moving again. Like, let's, 
Yeah, I wonder how much we have. We have some time. They could. This could drag out through the end of the year. It would still be okay. I think that's right. If it's not done in the next month, it's not going to happen this year though, because people are going to go on vacation. Exactly. Exactly. So we stand with the unions, uh, and let's let's get it done. Any other news yeah. you need to report? Yes. I have news I need to report. Please. Uh, this could go in the plug section, but I'm worried I might forget about it. So okay. I'll I'll do it up front. Guest and friend of the pod, Peter Kafka, has a new podcast out this week. Um, uh, a new series of Vox's Land of the Giants. Mm. Um, this one is about uh, the story of Twitter uh, on the one year anniversary of, of its acquisition by Elon. Mm. And they interviewed many notable and intelligent people. And then he also talked to me. <laughs> and so if you want to hear me talk about early Twitter, uh, you can go download, download that series land of the giants by Vox from wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy that. Awesome. I will download that today and begin listening. Cannot wait. Episode. I listened to episode one this morning. It's good. It's good. Awesome. And then what, have you heard anything about that Netflix documentary? No, don't know when that's coming. Okay. Um, Stay tuned for more Twitter documentarian news. <laughs> Eventually, don't worry. It will things all be will covered. get plugged. Yeah, exactly. Everything will get plugged. Everything will get plugged. Well, speaking of plugging, let us plug our new patron, Jason. Who's our new patron? Jason. Is it me? Jason. It's Yay! You. <laughs> Good job. You now have early access to the uncut episodes. That's why I did it. I wanted to hear the early access to the uncut episodes. You get early access to the polished episodes. It turns out that was like, a like even for me, having to do the podcast, I still wanted to hear the podcast. And I asked Matt, I was like, can I, as like the host, get like a free version of the uncut episode? He's nope. like, no. Nope. You have to pay just like everyone else. We're egalitarian here. I was like, all right, fair enough. This so a, yeah, this is a podcast it's a of the money people. laundering operation that only benefits Patreon, mm. but we're happy to do it. Congratulations, Patreon. Yeah. Uh, while we're here, let us welcome a few new Discord members. Mommy GF, Monster Pet, Omegasaurus Rex, KGN, E-Grill, and Kai. Great. Big week. Big week. Definitely big week. Well, listen, I cannot wait any longer. Please, let's talk to Ryan Condal. Now, you knew, obviously, we were going to have to start here. Very good. Given your recent appearance on the podcast <laughs> with your co-host, Dave Mandel, to cover Wrath of Khan, which was incredible, then you went on to take it to the next level. So where is it? When can we see it? Tell the people mm, what you won. Uh, I don't have it yet, um, but I'm looking forward to getting it. I have to say, I was I was going to actually tell, I was going to bring this up tonight because I was going to tell you guys, I feel like I, I need to keep doing this podcast with you because I feel like we talk about a movie and then like... The something from the movie sort of comes under That's my right. nose and and uh, and uh, and then into my possession. So it's been good luck. So I'm wondering what uh, what from Fury Road might be coming my way after tonight. We'll, yes. have to, we'll, we'll have to find out. There's some good props in that movie. Yeah, there are. It's a gr it's a really great prop movie, and uh, some of that stuff has come out, but some of that stuff is lurking in the uh, I think in the hills of Australia somewhere. Well, we'll be happy to be your good luck. Um, and so it, as yes, our, as we're the good luck charms. <laughs> So you purchased a one-of-a-kind prop and one of the greatest props of all time, Captain Kirk's 
a way mission jacket from Wrath of Khan. Yeah, it's the whole costume. So it's it's actually there. There are trousers, as I've learned to say in the UK, because pants are underpants. So don't say. You know, I put the wrong pants on today because people give you weird looks. Uh, so trousers and boots of all labeled William Shatner. So the only thing that was missing from the whole getup to make it a complete costume was that under tunic, the uh, the sort of collar, you know, the mm. the, the, the turtleneck, essentially. And uh, kind of funny, um, there was a lot of uh, a little after that, a uh, lot of um, uh, five different under tunics from the Star Trek saga. And uh, there were two uh, cream colored, the correct ones in there. So I was actually able to acquire that with another collector who actually did the bidding because he needed one for his Kirk Maroon from Wrath of Khan. So we each now have. But it's very cool because the under tunics are are sleeveless they're like they're basically like dickies so oh, wow. all, you know because those the the parkas were probably pretty hot so they just sure. made the bare minimum thing to you know to to show under the under the clothes to keep the actor cool but uh mm, it's amazing wow. uh they made one for each character apparently so there would have been a savik a, a a bones one right and then right. this this kirk one and um yeah, and it was in this this great collection. If you're uh, if you're interested in hearing much more about it, you can listen to many episodes that we did on it yes. this season on the stuff dreams are made of. Uh, but it was the Greg Jean collection, and Greg was a massive lifelong science fiction fan who uh, grew up as a uh, total geek and model builder that then went on to do it professionally. It was like one of, you know, it's sort of like, you know, someone like my story, uh, you geeks out on something hard enough. And then somebody comes along and says, Hey, would you like me to pay you money to do this? And he ended up in later in his, uh, in his career, became a professional model builder, et cetera, et cetera. I had always Including obsessed about close encounter including close encounters, built the, yeah. you know, built the mothership from that, um, did mm. all the war planes and stuff in 1941, worked to Spielberg, but later in his career in the eighties, actually it came all the way back around for a huge fan of the original Trek series, got to build models for the star Trek movies. And oh what God. I love about the story is his first star Trek movie, proper movie he really worked on was search for Spock. So not only is he working on That's your the Trek one, movie, right? but he was working for Leonard Nimoy wow. and, uh, you know, one of, one of his heroes. And, and um, it's just such a great story. Very sadly, he passed away about a year and a half ago. Uh, he was in his late seventies. He, he had this uh, kind of, you know, brief uh, illness and and passed away. And and he had had this sort of. Um, it was like Smaug's collection, you know, it was like, it's like, I've heard that there are things in the lonely mountain, but I'm not sure exactly what they are. And, right. uh, and everybody kind of whispered and talked and, oh, I heard Greg has stormtrooper. And, um, and then this stuff all came to light and, and kind of wonderfully in a way of honoring him over this you know, long weekend, uh, a couple of weeks ago in the middle of October heritage auctions, um, sold off his collection. So this was one of the things that he had kept this, uh, this con outfit and mm. surely he got it at the time from somebody that he knew that worked on the film and it probably just lived with him the entire, you know, the entire time afterwards. So it's it, not only is it from this legendary collector, it has great provenance and also it's just, it's the best costume from the best movie in the That's Star awesome, Trek saga. Man. So very exciting. So I'm cool. very I'm I'm stoked to hear about like both you I, I'm stoked about the pod and like just like the I don't know it just feels like a huge moment for you guys and this and and the pod generally like it all came together in this huge in this huge event and Heritage yeah. Auction is is sponsoring your pod so like yep, you just yep. you really got it going on it was big yeah I mean you know Prop Store uh, was uh, sponsored us for for many seasons we're great very grateful for that we will come back 
to to them. I mean, ideally, we want to get in a situation where we have sponsorship from a couple of places so that we don't. You sure. know, we've joked about not shilling for one place, uh, you know, all right. at once, because uh, we do like to keep our, however it is, journalistic integrity and be able to talk yeah. about multiple things and say what yeah. we like in an auction, what we don't like, what we you know, be honest about. Uh, what's going on in collecting. Uh, but this was a, it was a big thing. And heritage is this, you know, giant company and they sell fine art and ancient coins and, and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, they, they have, they've sold Andy Warhols and Picassos mm-hmm. at, at heritage and they, Star they, Trek they, jackets and Star Trek jackets. Yes. <laughs> and comic books and action figures. And they have this big pop culture, you know, wing, but they're, that they're a big serious auction house. Um, they do like two yeah. point whatever billion dollars worth of business every year. It's really crazy. Um, so to, so to pull them in as, um, as as sponsors, uh, was, you know, it was a big deal for us. And, uh, we're just as, you know, as you guys know, like we do, we tend to do, unless we're Joe Rogan, we tend to do these podcasts out of passion and it's just nice to get to a place where like kind of, you know, the lights are kept on and everything's taken care of. And now that that is thanks to, uh, thanks to the season with, with Harris. That's That's awesome. That's terrific. If you want to have Casey Blois call us, you know, we'll be happy to show for HBO, like no problem. Oh, excellent. Yeah. I'll, (laughs) I'll, I'll I'll mention to him. He's a big, he's a big fan. He had some quibbles about your, uh, Princess Bride episode, but, uh, (laughs) but, uh, just add him on Slack. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, or in the cafeteria, yeah. you know, when you when you see yeah. him, you see him over there. All right, so well, that was one of the great was... moments in my young career was Casey sitting across the table from me at a breakfast and going, "So you have a podcast?" And then what? and then me having to sort of explain what the deal was. And you know, David Mandel also works for works for Casey. Yeah, D- yeah. Dave works for Casey for many years because Casey used to head comedy. Yeah. Uh, oh, so Dave wow. has known him, you know, for since the Curb days. Damn. Uh, right. So he was just sort of fascinated. Why do you know Dave? And how did this happen? And and whatever it was, it was um, it was a good moment. It's like you know. Explaining to your parents why you have a podcast. Yeah, it's a little, this has come up for me as well, where like you have to explain that you've got this other thing going on and it's a podcast and you're like, yeah, like I don't, don't consider me differently as an employee because I have this other thing going on. I'd like you to, I'd like you to still just view me as a, as a good, a hard worker. Yes. It's like, we're back in like, in like 1990 and someone found my D and D players manual in my bag and I'm now forced to explain it. And it's like, yeah, 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 it's, 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 um, it's like sports. It's fine. It's cool. (laughs) Well, it was incredible. Like uh, listening to the episodes, I listened to 10 hours across four episodes of your podcast uh, for the Greg Jean piece. And then also, this is the first time I've ever like watched or listened to an auction live. And it's it's pretty exciting. Like listen to this. Lot 269. Oh, wow. 25,000. It's 52,500 on the cut and 55 for Captain Kirk's Starfleet field uniform from Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. It's 65,000 now, but 70. A lot on the cut, a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. I won't I won't play everything. I just I love the I love the end of of this uh right here. Fair warning. Congratulations. <laughs> the bitter 147. Yeah. Woohoo. Woohoo. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks to yeah. thanks to Mr. David Mandel for uh holding up my bin yeah. paddle cuz I was yes. not there live, he was there live for me. So uh, oh, he can't good. show up to podcasts guys, but he can show up to an auction and bid, <laughs> bid for me. So <laughs> I knew we were risking it. Like I tried to do the thing where I emailed you both 2 weeks in advance just to see if I could get it on his radar, but yeah, he was like fully he was staying on target. Staying <laughs> staying on target. He did oh it. Oh my God. Yes. I'm the much more reliable of these stuff yeah. dreams are made of uh, co-hosts. 
Well, we're we're stoked. We'll have him soon. He's coming on for Last Boy Scout. So great. That, that's oh, great. he loves that movie. Yeah, that's coming out yeah. next month. Uh, all right. So that Jason, do you have other prop questions you wanted to ask? Or are you? Yeah, I want to. I like on this upcoming one. This uh, I thought I, like our listeners will enjoy this because it's a movie we've covered. There's not a ton from this movie, but um, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. There's two props being auctioned off in the in the prop store auction one in November. One. The balls? Yeah, the brass balls are yeah. being auctioned yes. off. Wow. Like, that's crazy. Like, that seems like a crazy one. Like, I could really see some sales guy out yep. there at, like, you know, Salesforce going buck wild no for doubt. this. Like, yeah, I feel a, it's a low estimate. I think it's one of those. It's That's a deep cut movie, but somebody yeah. will be paying attention there and it will link out yeah. and whatever. And, mm. and that will, that, I think that one will go nuts. Cause if you, if you did the whole, like, what would you have from Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross? I think like, you know, if you did the family feud survey, you know, the number right. one answer would be the brass balls. Yeah. I mean, I just don't know what else yeah. you would have, you know, the set of steak knives, the Rolex is auction too. The Rolex is fine, but it's unspecific to the movie and whatever. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. The, the funny, the other thing would have, it would just be like, here's my uh, land deal in the Florida Everglades, you know, exactly. it's just an empty frame. <laughs> you just get nothing. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Uh, well, that is incredible. Um, and, and definitely, uh, uh, you know, stoked for people to check that out. I do want to ask you quickly, um, just tell us briefly about what, how the discussion with Anthony Daniels came about and, uh, and just yeah. what that was. Amazing. Yeah. So, so he's selling props in the auction. He right? is. Like he's, and it, yeah. It, it's incredible. So in, uh, so, uh, prop store, uh, prop store of London now prop store LA slash slash London has its London auction. They, they do two auctions a year. This is their, their London auction is coming up, uh, on November 9th, starting as a mm. four day auction. And, uh, they have, uh, Anthony Daniels entire lifetime collection of everything he kept from nine star Wars films Holy all at cow. once down to, as we covered today, his C3PO, um, scotch tape dispenser, which is basically if you can, if you can roll back into your mind and imagine C-3PO reclining on a, uh, on a chaise lounge with uh -huh. the, uh, the rolly bit, uh, right between his knees. And as, as Anthony Daniels in his very polite British accent said, it's, um, somewhat remarkably obscene. And, uh, and as you just roll tape out of, uh, C-3PO's crotch. Uh, so, so everything from there to his helmet from a new hope, uh, which is a screen matched original wow. helmet, uh, uh, from a new hope that the dent matches to the, uh, to the post, oh, uh, Tuscan Raider attack. Uh, it matches to a bunch of scenes in the Death Star. Um, it's Jesus. pretty crazy because there was, I think there were only like two helmets for a new hope because it was such a sort of low budge movie. Right. Um, and his hands and his feet and his scripts and his handwritten a phonetic Ewok dialogue from Return of the Jedi as he was trying to memorize it. And then the one he took into the ADR room to get it, you know, to sweeten, you know, yeah, to sweeten the audio and all that. It's really amazing. So we, um, we, uh, he's, he's very good friends with prop store. We reach, reached out and asked, Hey, can we, we've had mom, we'd love to take, he's done a bunch of interviews. He's written his book about being C3PO, but he hasn't mm. really talked about his 
collection in a sort of nerdy, That's in-depth awesome. way beyond the helmet and the hands and things like that. So we had him talking about his ex- appearance on the Muppets and talking about oh, his, yeah. his, uh, you know, his, um, his, his C-3PO tape dispenser, his uh, <laughs> immunization poster shoot that he did with R2-D2, if you guys remember that, our, the parents of Earth or your children immunized. Wow. The, uh, uh, it's an, I don't it, remember that. Yeah, yeah. It's great. It's from like 1978. It was like right after the first film. And, uh, and that poster started selling like hotcakes about three years ago, as you can imagine, uh, mm. when uh, immunization became uh, sort of a hot political topic. Right. I have one hanging right. in my children's playroom. That's great. Um, so it was, it was great fun. And he was, he was a delight and did a bunch, he did a bunch of Ewok speak and um, told us that it was all our fault. And uh, it was, um, it was, uh, it was a delight. So you'll be able to hear that, I think on November 8th, uh, leading up to the, uh, the, the day before the prop store auction, essentially. Oh my God. What a joy. That's great. It's great fun. Folks should definitely check that out. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Looking forward, looking forward to that. Um, and yeah, just, just, I can't wait. You guys were here last time, just after the prop store, (laughs) the last prop store auction. So yeah, it seems like it's a constant, a constant running thing for you guys. There are more and more Uh, of these things these days. There's a lot of alien stuff in this upcoming one too, again. There is. Yeah. There's, there's there's been a lot of alien stuff that has come out and new stuff that we've never seen before. You know, the, the APC being kind of centerpiece of it. So it's, this is the, Mm. the APC that, um, the model or that is built in scale with, yeah, it's the scale model, but there were, there were two. So there was the life-size APC, which was a yeah. uh, airplane tractor from Heathrow oh, airport yeah, yeah. that they repainted mm-hmm. in, in military green. And then there was like a proper sort of studio scale one that would have been about the size of like a human coffee table. And then there's this one, which is the one that was built in scale with the dropship models. So this is the one that right, actually drives right. out of the dropship. So it's about, yeah. uh, it's the size of an RC car. Cause that's what it is. It's a built mm. on an, uh, uh, one of those home kit RC car chassis and uh, it's pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy. Uh, cool. and, and really cool. But then they have, you know, they also have like the Hadley's hope sign from the, this, the, um, studio scale sign from, you know, from the Colony, and it just has Hadley's Hope population 158 on it, oh, and it's yeah. just you know that what a great little conversation piece to just have you know in your office or in your little display case. So yeah, there's a bunch of cool yeah. alien stuff. There's a Stanley Kubrick script from The Shining. It's like a Stanley oh, Kubrick God. personal script from The wow. Shining that he marked up all over the place. And like we oh, you know we God. joked that he would you know he was going to rise from the dead and come back and try to reclaim this thing and <laughs> shove it into a shredder because um, <laughs> exactly. I'm sure he can't believe that it even exists. Um, it but feels, yeah, there's so many it great feels pieces. Sketchy maybe to own that just from a karma perspective. <laughs> Like, I would he think might, so. like he might, I would think like so. He yeah. There's a pretty, I mean, I can't really tell it on the podcast because there, there's a whole story behind probably what happened there. Where and it, it there from? was a bit of, oh. there was a bit of some skullduggery going on, wow. um, but, uh, but it's a totally legit piece and it's, uh, it's fantastic. I, I, I flipped through it and it's just like, it, it's, it's goddamn amazing. It's just great. The last revenge of Shelly Duvall. She's like, fuck you, Stan. I stole your shit. I'm selling it. That would make a mu- actually a much better story than, than the one that I heard, but it's all Yeah. Oh, justice for Shelly. Uh, that is, that's, that's amazing. For justice for Shelly. That's the new tagline for the podcast. Yes. All right. I, I do want to take a quick, sharp left turn because I'm very excited to hear that House of the Dragon, you guys have finished shooting. We finished shooting. And so wow. how, I just want to just, without getting too far into details, like you were basically not working, obviously, as, as part of the strike. Uh, while right. Some, a bunch of stuff was getting shot. Um, and so when did you come back? Were you able to come back before 
Yeah. I mean, look, to be honest, I was on, I was, I was there. I'm the showrunner. You know, I have, I have two jobs. I have a writing job and I have a producing job and it was very hard to keep everything kind of, you know, clear and separate, um, you know, during, uh, during the action, but I did. And, you know, I, I I'm a staunch union supporter. I, I, you know, believed in the WGA's action, but we were also in a situation where we were making a show that wasn't going to stop being made simply because I was not there. And it just, you know, weighing up the, you know, that particular decision, the scripts were done. We had this, the scripts were all finished and, um, and we, we were filming. So, you know, I had, I had to stick in and do my job as a producer to keep the train's running on time. Uh, mm-hmm, that is right. not very, the, a lot of the things we do is showrunners, uh, do not have anything to do with, uh, with writing and also sometimes don't have anything to do with creative. Um, it's, <laughs> right. a, you know, it's a very administerial position and, you know, five directors and three different locations. Uh, there's just a lot of stuff to chase around. And uh, we spent a lot of time writing those scripts and just making sure that what was written on that page that was, you know, the done, you know, two months before we started filming was honored, uh, through through the filming process and tracked through, um, you know, tracked from, from beginning to end. So it, it was hard. It was hard. It's hard to make the season that way, but, um, yeah. Yeah. but yes, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm now back. I'm a writer again. Uh, post Yay. has begun. So, you know, directors have started, um, uh, delivering their cuts. So I'm starting to see kind of early, you know, early stuff because the directors get, you know, their set time with mm-hmm. the editors do a cut and then the directors get their set time with the script, with the, um, the material. So things have started filtering up to me. We're starting to talk about visual effects and score and, you know, sound design and all those, all those fun things um, that you get to do um, now that you're, you know, making the show, the show. And uh, it's, it's goddamn exciting guys. Uh, I think we have a pretty, pretty great season on our hands. That's great. Can't wait. Can't wait. A largely administrative, a largely administrative position is also how Emperor Palpatine described what he was doing. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Listen, it's like this is not this is not really a big change from being I, chancellor to emperor. This is an administrative change. I've committed thirty percent <laughs> less murder than uh, yeah. than Palpatine has today. Oh, that's yeah. good. That's I can't good. make any promises as we go on. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Post production is tough. Yes. You never. You never know. Yeah. what's gonna never. Who's gonna, gonna get gonna thrown happen. out a window? <laughs> Well, listen, that is an incredible set of stuff yeah. that, that you've been up to, and we are so thrilled to have you joining us for your sixth appearance on the pod. Crazy. Amazing. It's amazing. You're one of our you're one of our, our highest numbered guests. Uh, yeah. And you picked, out of a whole big list of stuff, um, you picked Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. So, what do you think? Should we get into this? Let's do Let's it. Let's do it. God. All right, here we go. Mad Max Fury Road is the race to leave your demons behind and give birth to a new world of hope. Max Rakitansky started his career enforcing the rules of the road in his V8 Interceptor Pursuit Special as an officer of the Main Force Patrol. But he was forever changed when a psychotic crew murdered his wife and infant son. As the world descended into apocalyptic devastation, Max became a road warrior, helping those he could survive in a world ruled by evil. Decades later, feeling the blood of countless innocents lost along the way on his conscience, Max has been reduced to a feral warrior operating on instinct alone. Captured by the fanatical warboys of the powerful warlord Immortan Joe, He's thrust into the pursuit of the war rig, the most powerful vehicle on the road, when a Morton Joe's Imperator, Furiosa, steals it 
to bear his five wives to freedom. Max must reckon with his losses and decide whether to make a stand in this battle with the fate of thousands hanging in the balance. When he's done, many will fear his name and others will praise it, but no one will forget the legend Mad Max forged on the Fury Road. On the Fury Road. I like I like to imagine like Ernest Hemingway hearing that pitch and just uh-huh. just like quietly walking out of the room and going to get a beer at the end of it. He's like, he's like Ernest, we're gonna tell you what, what storytelling is gonna be like in the future. That's with yeah. people called Imperator Imperiosa, yeah. and Immortan right. Joe. And uh, it's about a Fury Road and a man who eats or- lizards. Yeah. Or or Kubrick, like you can imagine, like what we're like, but like I think Kubrick would be into it. Mm-hmm. Like I think like Kubrick, if he heard that, would be like, okay, like let's see, like I fucks with it. Yeah. Let's see how it goes. <laughs> oh man, uh, well, Ryan, what is your history with Mad Max uh, up through Fury Road? I mean, obviously, I've seen them all. Uh, as as we're all sort of children of the '80s, I know we're all slightly from a, a different mm-hmm. uh, sliding scale of Generation X, but we all grew up in the '80s, so we all saw Beyond Thunderdome a thousand times on cable yeah. television yeah. growing up. Yeah. Uh, so that was probably my first exposure. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I worked with the director who many years ago who uh, said that Road Warrior. And this is a guy who actively hated genre. Ironically, uh-huh. he was making a genre piece uh, with me, uh, but oh, actively hated time. genre. Um, but he said that the uh, Road Warrior is the greatest genre piece of, of cinema mm. ever put ever put to film, and mm. uh, and that was from somebody that didn't like it. So I really I really took that to heart. I I love the Road Warrior. I think that's that's the, the sort of high water mark. Obviously, the first movie was a different thing. They didn't really have any bu- budget. It was sort of his budget. Yeah, it was his it was his student film. Uh, but the Road Warrior is really. I mean, it, that's a study. Like, go and look at that in film class for how you construct action and, and do world building without exposition, any exposition at all. You just imply the stu- you know, what's going on in the world on the page. Um, mm-hmm. So I love all that stuff. And the reason I picked this movie, I mean, all the movies that we've done previously have sort of been classics from, you know, my and our childhood. Mm-hmm. This was a, the one modern movie that was on your list that um, very much appealed to me because I'm, you know, as I'm sure you guys are now, I'm, I'm more of a hard hearted cynic when I go to the movie theater right. and it's hard now that I know and see and participate in the making of the sausage um, to, to have a transported experience now with mo- with modern filmmaking, just because it, it, it's, it's a different thing than it was when I was a wide-eyed little, you know, 10-year-old watching Batman 89 in the theater for the first time and for being sure. like transformed by it. But this is one of the rare modern movies, uh, Dune included on that list, where I had kind of a religious experience in the theater. I was taken to a different place and I forgot that I was watching a movie and I was, I was, I was taken to the Fury Road for whatever it's worth. And I remember I was, it was, it was May of 2015. I went to see the movie with my buddy Jermaine in in LA because our our wives just said, you go see your silly, you know, Tom Hardy movie together. And we watched, it was like opening, it might've been opening for it was opening weekend. It might've been opening Friday. And we just sat there in the theater and watched that insane opening sequence with, which happens, mm-hmm. I don't, not a line of dialogue that, yeah. you know, that basically ends with the, the tornado hitting and then it cutting you know, him throwing it, yeah. thrown out of the car and it cutting to black. Mm. And this was in cynical LA and it goes to black and silence. And somebody in the theater stood up and yells, Jesus Christ, that was just the first <laughs> act. <laughs> and it was like the whole theater went up. That's and then amazing. It was like, That's you know, great. <laughs> 
it was like, that's great. And it was, it was such a, yeah, it was a, it was a religious experience for me. And it, and it, it was so inspirational and, you know, in, in a place where I was you know struggling to, at that time to get my own movie projects and TV projects up. It was just something, not that I went home and wrote like a right. pastiche of Fury Road, but it was just like, this is what's possible in That's cinema. And it was so, it was so exciting. So anyway, I, th- that was the, that was the most recent religious experience other than watching Dune uh, mm. that I had had uh, in, in a, uh, in a movie theater. So I just, I was excited to talk about the movie. Yeah. Awesome. That's great. That's great. My God. Jason, how about you? I, yeah, like I think Ryan gave a good synopsis of sort of where Mad Max sits for me. Like Thunderdome is one I've seen a million times and I've seen the first two like once each or something like that. Like I actually haven't seen even the road warrior that many times. Um, and then, and so it was a, it was like a franchise I liked, but like wasn't particularly attached to and saw I saw Fury Road on opening weekend and in IMAX 3D, um, I realized as I was watching the movie at home um, that I'd seen it in 3D um, and was just like, this is amazing. I didn't know they did this anymore. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I was I was and I hadn't it wasn't one that I'd like revisited, but I really appreciated sort of that it um, captured the cultural consciousness in a way that I feel genre doesn't often always do like the memes and like sort of like the commentary about it um, became a whole thing um, and still is to some extent. And so I really liked all of that and was appreciative to be able to, to I'm glad we're talking about it. Yeah. Mm. So I, at 10 or 11, some somewhere in that ballpark um, saw Mad Max, the original, uh, you know, my dad brought it home, uh, you know, as one of his beta that he got from his buddy, John. Um, and I watched it and it was clearly, you know, not appropriate for me, um, at that point, but, uh, you know, I was watching worse stuff, um, you know, around that time as well. Uh, and I was just like obsessed with it. It was, it's so intense, the driving and, and all of the action that's in there. So like, this was a formative thing for me. And then I, I loved road warrior as well. And I think, Thunderdome. So I'm older than you guys, but I think Thunderdome I only saw once, um, and I was not. Mm. I like. I didn't wow. like the Tina Turnerness of it. Wow. I just didn't. didn't wow. Didn't jive with it. So. Wow. Stop the pod. So, so by the way, spoiler oh. for upcoming episode of Stuff Dreams Are Made Of. But uh, Anthony Daniels' favorite movie when we we played the game at the end. The uh, what uh-huh, would you have? Uh-huh. Yeah. So we just said a non Star Wars movie. So we let him pick the movie. Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Anthony Daniels. Wow. Okay. Now I'm on Anthony Turner's list. Tina Turner's shoulder pads. That's what he picked. Yeah. yeah. They do look great. Uh, they do look they, good. They do look great. I haven't, in fairness, I haven't revisited it in 30 years, so I need to, I need to check it out. But um, this movie I saw opening weekend as well, and I loved it, but I was also like not fanatical about it. And I was kind of like guarded because people were so fanatical about it. For some reason, I, I was like a little contrarian and I did not revisit it until eight years later watching it now. Um, and was just completely blown away. So just, just an incredible, an incredible film. Let's do just some quick behind the scenes. So it was a 10 year battle, uh, for George Miller to get this film made. It started with him. He was walking across the street in Australia and halfway across the street, he had the idea of what if you had a single continuous chase as the movie, uh, as a sequel, And he got very excited by that idea uh, by the time he got to the sidewalk and he started thinking about it. And then he took a flight and basically came up with the whole movie on one international flight. Mm. So then he teams up with uh, lead storyboard artist Mark Sexton, who worked on Dark City, 
Uh, he's done all of Miller's stuff going back to Happy Feet. He did MI2. He did Red Planet. Episode two, Black Panther, Love and Thunder. Like this guy has done a lot of uh, amazing work. They storyboarded the entire film. Um, and then they go to do pre-production in Namibia. And they spend two years building the cars to get going. And 9-11 happens and the price of the dollar crashes. And so the movie is canceled at that point, or at least put on mm. put on hiatus. So first question, Ryan, have you filmed in Namibia yet or any, any plans for that? I, I have not, but I actually have a funny, I do have a funny Fury Road pre-production nightmare story. So in 2011, yes. I was in, I was, I was in Sydney, Australia for about two and a half months. I was working on an Alex Proyas movie called mm. Paradise Lost. And it was mm-hmm. an adaptation of the famous, you know, John Milton epic poem. And, uh, obviously that movie never got made, but we were in, we were in pre-production, a bunch of money was spent on it. And the movie got the plug in a very brutal, the most brutal thing that has happened to me in my career. got the plug pulled like, uh, weeks before they were meant to start principal. Oh, Bradley God. Cooper wow. was going to play Lucifer. We had ca- cast the movie, you know, Alex was directing, it was using the avatar technology, but like going that much further. Cause it was entirely virtual. So there were no real environments at all. It was all performance capture, creating the angels, creating heaven and earth and Eden and all that. Um, and, uh, and, and that whole story. So we were, he was casting the film while we were out there and he was looking for his Michael, the, the, you know, the good archangel. Mm. And he kept losing, uh, candidates to Mad Max Fury Road, wow. which George Miller was casting down the road. Yes. Um, and uh, and this was the, I think this was the failed Australian startup, right? So it did M- yeah. Namibia and then it went on to Australia and then they had the crazy rainy season out in the, the uh, you know, the, the de- basically the, the, yeah. Yeah, de- death, their death valley that never flowers. And it, and it, it was the green place for that, yeah. for that it's summer. Like Lido's, it's like Lido's Arrakis, you know, yeah. uh, the, the God emperors it's being yeah. transformed. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> uh, so, and he was like, yeah, this, this guy, Tom Hardy is starring in the movie. Cause this is, you know, this is when like Tom Hardy was shins on from, from Star Trek. It was, this was like pre Tom Hardy. Uh, and he's like, Oh, it's never, it's never going to work. And what, and whatever. And, oh and, uh, and, and then right across the lot, um, Boz Lerman was shooting um, Great Gatsby, wow. and uh, and Alex kept saying his his plan for Paradise Lost was to out Boz Boz in his uh, in his excess. <laughs> oh my gosh. And uh, indulgence. Wow. So mm, yeah, amazing. I uh, loved Alex, uh, director of Dark City. Yeah, yeah, abs- yeah, absolutely. Um, just quick aside, did you get to see the creator yet? Uh, have not. No, I've not. Mad, it's Neither. on the list. Matt's, uh, just, Matt's mad at me for not having seen no, I just, it. I, I saw the Paw Patrol movie first. <laughs> I also, Jason, thank you. Me too. Uh, me yeah, too. I saw, I saw the Paw Patrol movie. I, um, I had big you, questions you know, about by what's the, the way, budget? Do, what's do the budget you know, for Paw Patrol? Like like that that it, aircraft carrier looked very expensive. It, it, Is that like very, a private yeah, government it, partnership? It's like very where, big. What's the so accountability? Here, here's, here's the thing for you guys. Do you know that in the UK, they dub the voices of the Paw Patrol team in British. Do you know they like Come redub on. them? I believe but it. Like, I believe it. Just the pups. It doesn't. Just oh, the pups. Else so like is. Humdinger, Mayor Humdinger is still Mayor <laughs> Humdinger. So you have this entirely American cast around in a clearly American city, right? Yeah, Adventure right. Bay is clearly not in England. And yeah, then you right. have a bunch no. of like hearing rubble, the, this sort of angry, yeah. lazy, uh, bulldog with uh, a British uh, accent. It's just, it's not right. And my, <laughs> my, uh, my, uh, uh, five-year-old, uh, leaned over to me and said, and said, 
that's the, she said that she loves sky she goes that's sky uh-huh. but that's not sky's voice and i was like right, yeah, right. I, that's so I, funny wow that's that's weird, weird i don't it? understand that choice maybe it's like a I don't know what that is. That's weird because it's just like they it's clearly not America. And like also, I don't think like the Brits have this kind of militarization of dogs or police. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, best of best of luck. It's just a weird thing. Like, the ki- I don't know with the kids and, does, and my kids does watch Rubble British likes- cartoons. My kids watch Bluey and like. Right. Yeah. They're yeah. totally. They, have, they don't. They don't care. Yeah. They have Australian accents. Yeah. The, does does Rubble have like um like a cockney? Does he like a tough? Is he like, oi. <laughs> Oh no, that would be much better. They're all kind of posh. Yeah. It's all that yeah. kind of RP read, right. which really? yeah. it also makes it just weird because they just don't seem the accent doesn't match the jobs that they're right. doing. And, right. it's, you know, and then Ryder's British and it's very guys. It's very weird. It's very weird. <laughs> Yeah. Huge glow up for Sky though. Your daughter must have been oh, stoked. Yeah. She got oh, a, lot yeah. of, a lot of minutes she in that big was big minutes for delighted. Sky. Delighted. Just like yeah. when she realized the movie was about Sky, she like grabbed my arm and she's like, It's Sky. She was so happy. <laughs> yeah. And my oh, other one is there, like tagged along for the free candy because she's over yeah. Paw Patrol and like wants to go home and watch Indiana Jones again. So, That's really funny. Yeah. That's yeah. really funny. Uh well, so yeah, you did you you hit some kind of key stuff that was happening there with the the torrential rains, and this was after they they got it picked back up in 2007 and 2008 and Miller was circling Heath Ledger to come back as Matt or to come in as Max uh, before he passed away. Um, But finally in 2011, they got back to Namibia and they shot for two, uh, they they started in 2012 actually filming. So Ryan, the first thing that happened was their 140 day schedule was reduced to a (laughs) hundred. What do you do when your when your schedule is reduced by do? like thirty five percent? You're fucked. I mean, you, you're cutting set pieces. Is what the first thing you do is mm. you attack a big set piece and you see how many mm. days it gets out of the schedule because uh, the, the that's the only thing you can do. You can't compress. You can't. You can't. If you start doing the oh well, we'll do this twenty day sequence in fifteen days or ten days, then you just start compromising quality and you end up with less than. So you make yeah, a shorter yeah. you make a shorter movie. And you 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 pull out a couple of pull out a couple of set pieces. Yeah. I mean that's the only thing you can do. That's that's why. Or you do, or you do the thing where you like you pull something that you could live without in the movie, and then you start shooting, hoping that dailies come in and the studio gets you know gets buoyant over it yeah, yeah. and bullish on it, and then you're like, hey, can we have that you know 15 day set piece back or the 20 day set piece, and they tack it on to the end of the schedule. You start playing producer games like that. Mm. Not that I've ever done anything mm. like that. <laughs> Clearly not from experience. Yeah. Um, well, it was wild. I think one thing that I found really interesting in the behind the scenes was George described the anxiety that this caused because almost every single day was a big stunt day. Um, and he said they're not used to running under that much pressure day after day after day. And he was really worried about people getting hurt and, yeah. and stuff happening, but they were, they were able to, to make it through. Um, well, Soderbergh do, famously said, how did he couldn't believe that like 30 people didn't die in the making of that movie. He was like, yeah. he watched it in the theater and he broke down, Definitely. he broke down weeping, basically realizing that he would never, it was, he had seen Emer- Everest climb and he realized he would never come close right. to any filmmaking on that, on that level. And he was just like, wow. ah, 30 yeah. people not die making this movie. And Jesus. no one got hurt. Yeah. I mean, badly hurt. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. That's incredible well so uh, there was a lot going on with heart with tom clearly he did not get along well with george apparently didn't get along well with charlize uh, or the lizard 
but it's just super interesting, this idea of the conflict and the, all the way to at, at can him apologizing and saying that now he realized what was, what George was trying to do once he saw it. Interesting. Um, but so that was, that was interesting. But when the first test screenings came in, people said too much action. Why doesn't Max talk? Why is Furiosa getting all the action? What's going on right. here? Um, yeah. And in reaction, uh, they also said that some of the some of the emotional beats didn't hit. So they ended up creating the bookends of the Citadel. That was none of that was shot. That was all done back in Australia, as well as Nux flipping uh, the truck at the end. All of that was done oh. in Australia as as pickups, um, oh. which is very different. Like, where did the movie end? The movie ended with them just like driving off into the desert for 160 days to the salt. No, that I guess like just the... beating, maybe just killing, uh, killing them out there in the wasteland. Joe and then taking the off. Keep, yeah, yeah, keep uh, going. Okay, but, gotcha. Very interesting. Yeah, Fascinating. yeah. Uh, I, I I think like I think it definitely ended up in a better place. I'm sad. To, I didn't know about the backstory of Tom Hardy hating everyone, um, which I guess I could kind of see depending on what his experience was. It must have been a tough shoot. And like, you know, it's I always wonder in movies like this where so much is done, like as it's put together. We talked about this last week for Star Wars, where you look at like yeah. the rushes of Star Wars and the stormtroopers come like clack, clack, clacking in and then they shoot the guns and they go clack 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 and there's like you know no lasers and like darth vader sounds like a giant dork and like you know if you are if you're like watching the dailies of that like do you like you're laddie you're alan laddie <laughs> like is this awesome like this is like is someone like this yeah. is it like we got it boys <laughs> like and i could see like whatever was coming back without any of the post-production on this like you just have no idea what you were doing it was just a lot of grunting but I am so in the bag for Hardy. I am just like yes. the biggest Tom Hardy fan. Like I love anytime he is in a mask, just growling away, uh, something incoherent and grumpy. He is, he's my favorite. He's sort of like, he's sort of like my, like Jimmy Khan. I feel like, I feel like mm. it's just like, it's just like, uh, you know, it's like something like, I don't, I don't have that affinity for like those old con performances. Cause I didn't, I, I didn't, I wasn't of that generation. I kind of get what's going on, but like, like, I feel like I, I get what Tar Hardy is doing and I don't care if it's incomprehensible to most of the audience. Mm. I, I couldn't see anybody else playing that role in the, in this movie. Yeah. It was a, t it was a tough shoot. Actually, I don't know if you guys have read, but blood and Chrome, the, uh, you know, the, the, yeah. kind of the oral history making, it's a great filmmaking book i mean because they get into all mm. the details of all the problems and that's the thing you uh, one of you guys have brought it up earlier but like the tough shoot it, it that was a look that was a 100 location shoot i mean that is really yes. hard like film shooting is hard yeah. but like at least when you're yeah. at the studio you can like walk over to the office you know have yeah. some indoor plumbing i mean doing a location shoot yeah. in that place for that long i mean you start to go kind of batty out there and uh right yeah not everybody was totally you know playing with a full deck to begin with so i think uh right i think it, it right. i think it, it pulled on some uh it pulled on pushed on some pressure points let's say some some loose threads were pulled <laughs> but yeah, it got no, but sure. it got something like the the performance especially hardy that he delivers um especially yeah. through him getting the mask off is just uh just incredible yeah yeah i would just two last things and then we'll get started uh you know getting through the we'll movie get started but, shortly yeah Nominated for 10 Academy Awards, Jason Great. won six. Yeah. Production design, sound editing, sound mixing. Now we know the difference between those two. Um, costume, hair and makeup, and editing. Yeah. So it's pretty good. I mean, it's a pretty good run for a movie this weird. Mm -hmm. It should have won Best Picture. 
Technically, it is just so I mean, it is just great. Like, it is just such an achievement. Like, it, it feels like it feels like something. So that's great. Mm-hmm. What year was it? What do you what, I wonder what 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 did it? Uh, 2015. It, it was the 2015. Yeah, so it would have been the 2016 Oscars. Yeah, mm, I think yeah, that okay. was the was that the Moonlight and and yeah, Spotlight? Maybe. The, uh, uh, what was it? La La Land? Uh, oh, mix uh, year. Was that that yeah. crazy? Or was that the year? Was that 2016 for the 2017? 26. Yeah. 2016 was spotlight okay um yeah I, and, and it upset the revenant and mad mad max for yeah, both revenant. of which i would have picked I yes over. Picked over heck yeah and it's that old thing where if you if you go back 10 years on like yeah. the best picture should be awarded not in t- 2015 but in yeah, 2025 yeah. you would give it to fury road right or right. revenant yeah. for sure You'd, yeah uh, yeah i think it's a tough choice between revenant and fury yeah. road i don't think it's a tough choice compared mm. to spotlight which huh. is like a good movie but i haven't seen it uh, no one almost died making spotlight. There were no, sure. there were, yeah. there were very few polecats. I was going to say yeah, very few exactly. polecat attacks in, in Boston <laughs> by the Catholic Church, the Catholic Church's <laughs> flamethrower division. Oh my God! They got the Exorcist coming in there, busting it up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the budget, depending on who you ask, was between 154 million and 185 million dollars, which oh caused uh, George to sue Warner Brothers and Warner Brothers to countersue, or vice versa. Um, in the end, the movie made 380 million dollars worldwide, and I couldn't find any reference to them settling. But obviously, he just finished shooting Furiosa, so it must have settled. Yeah, enough, yeah, uh, enough to do. Yeah, something. I think everything's fine now, and uh, and that, uh, you, you know that movie totally cleaned up on on yeah. on home oh video VOD all that because that's where everybody yeah. watched that thing because everybody missed it in the yeah. theater because they were just like what, and then it became the thing that it was and with the Oscar campaign and all that you know you know that thing made a billion dollars on home video. Golly. I just bought it this week. There you Beautiful. go. Um, so I'm doing my part. So this movie opens even just looking at the WB logo, and I think it's a Village Roadshow maybe, mm-hmm. um, but when the engine just starts revving, it, yeah. like it's it tells so you what you're intense. That's yeah, you're getting, a, you're getting a ride. Yeah, and so you're getting, uh, you know, this, his amazing... My name is Max. My world is fire and blood. Oil wars. We are killing for gasoline. gasoline. The world is actually running out of water. Now there's the water wars. Once, I was a cop, a road warrior searching for a righteous cause. And you've got discussions of nuclear war and, and all this other stuff. Um, so his voice also is so processed and so dialed up um, to 11. It's... I don't know. I just found that to be very intense. Made me sit back immediately. Yeah, it's it's quite an opening. I mean, it basically, yeah, the movie basically like this is the last moment of stillness for like an hour. Like, it is <laughs> you know, it is like it is like him standing there um, eating the lizard, uh, and then like it's like it, it's full motion for the next hour of this movie. That shot is gorgeous too of him standing there. It's just, it's so beautiful. And then having the, the war, you know, taken off and then the war boys chasing him. And of course his car, his interceptor, um, which, uh, this was a 1973 Ford XB Falcon GT 351. Um, just an amazing car and it was destroyed right in road warrior. Yeah. And then it was not in, Thunderdome. Is not in Thunderdome. Yeah. And then it's back somehow. It's back here. Or this another is a, one. He's 
prequel, I think, if you pushed Miller on it, this happens before the Road Warrior, I think, is the story. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, wow. I think I think okay. I think so. And the, I, he never got super specific about it, but I think that was always the idea behind this. Is this is like closer to him losing his family than any of the other movies. He's more of a salty veteran when you get to the mm, other, interesting. the other ones. Yeah. So, but as he's you know flipped ten times, crashing his car by the war boys. I am the one who runs from both the living and the dead, hunted by scavengers. Haunted by those I could not protect. So I exist in this wasteland, a man reduced to a single instinct, survive. Yeah. I don't know. It's just like, it, it, and then going to black and coming back up with the tattoo that they're giving him. So we talked about world building that George does uh, effortless here. So the text of this tattoo, day uh, 12,045, height 10 hands, 180 pounds, no name, no lumps, no bumps, full life clear, uh, two good eyes, no busted lungs, piss okay, genitals intact, multiple scars, heals fast, O negative, high octane, universal donor, lone road warrior run down on the powder lakes, V8, no guzzoline, no supplies, isolate in caps, psychotic, keep muzzled. Yes, yeah. great. And th- and that's the thing. I mean, you're getting at it, Matt. It's like the the world building in this movie. I think even better than Road Warrior. I just think the mm-hmm. the things that are implied in and we'll you know I'm get to it as the movie goes on. But the rules of this world, the fact that they call gasoline guzzoline, yeah. there's these yeah. these little things that you get. The religion, this sort mm-hmm. of pseudo Viking religion that you get into with Valhalla and V8, V8, yeah, V8, yeah, 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 and 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 it's you know it's not it's not the ancient Viking religion. It's a Viking religion built around you know right. basically guns and V8s and gas. And, mm-hmm. and, but he, nobody ever sits down and explains to you. Now, this is how religion works in this world. They just right, th- right. throw you enough breadcrumbs that you can kind of piece it together. And you don't really need to know. It's just texture in the story, but it's there for you if you want to dig it up. Otherwise, all you need to know is this guy's on the run and, and he's a blood bag, which I, which I also, yeah. I also <laughs> love this idea. And, and, blood you bag. know, the whole, you know, Morton Joe thing is this cult leader with the, you know, the colony of virgins surrounded by all these eunuchs. And that's why all the war boys are all pale, right? Cause they've all been cut mm. and that's the thing he's implying there. And, and, um, it's this sort of, it's, it's a very, it's like a, you know, it's like a, uh, a medieval harem essentially, yeah. um, mm. with its, with its, uh, you know, well-trained eunuch guards, you know, just like you would see in, uh, in, uh, the Arabian nights. Right. And, um, mm. and I love all the, the mixing and matching of, of, you know, cultural references, but doing enough to make it kind of unique and believable that it exists in this like post-apocalyptic post-modern you know, world where they've, they've, they've come from the same society that, that we do. And they've pieced together all these things or carried on these oral traditions or whatever. And over the decades or centuries that have passed since the nuclear, you know, nuclear war have pasted together this kind of new post-culture thing. And uh, it just, it kind of seeps through. And I, I just, that's great writing. And uh, mm, there's, yeah. there's a lot of um, production design, uh, you know, obviously uh, you direction the set you know set building but things that are not actually the written word but it's just it's it's you know george miller is writing that stuff or or the writers that he collaborated with are doing that stuff and it's coming through at you with all of the different departments that work together to make make a film and i just love all that stuff 
Well, let's go ahead and shout him out right now. So the production designer was Colin Gibson, and he won the Academy Award for production design for the film. He did, uh, in addition to this, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Makes sense. Um, Babe, Pig in the City, which I've still never seen. And Jason, The Great Wall. Oh, I've never seen that either. Matt Damon, coming soon. Legendary East. (laughs) Yeah, there's a bunch of TikTok clips that get- that 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 travel pretty far for that one where he like does some amazing archery skills or something. Um, mm. But yeah, I've never seen that movie. It looked mm. good. The, the TikTok makes it look good. I'll tell you what. <laughs> um, but the I don't know. Just like it, it's stunning. I like uh, also like the slaves walking, kind of like the an update of the Wheel of Pain, um, mm, but having hundreds of slaves of yeah. of working uh, working to do that was was so cool. Um, but it's just so visceral. So when Max tries to escape, uh, trying to get away from the war yeah. boys, I love the fact they move like fast zombies. Yeah. Yeah. The whole thing has like a sort of horror film vibe. Like this chase is like very, like uh, everyone's movements are very like kind of like missing loosely frames. jointed. Yeah. 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 And it's, yeah, missing frames. It, and then like, the flashbacks feels, as well, right? That are. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So intense- it feels like 28 days, days later or something like that. Like uh, it has this like, it has this like real haunted feel to it. Mm. Well, yeah, there's a shot. So he's like having the visions. He's seeing like people with their faces collapsing as, as he's trying to run away. But then when they grab him and they pull him back, like there's the shot of his face blanked out. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this is very intense. Like, I don't even know whose yeah, perspective yeah, yeah. that is supposed to be. I guess that's him feeling. I that thought way. they were just, I thought they put something over his head to like drag him back in. Yeah. I think, I think that's what it was. Yeah. They put like, a Oh, plastic, that's it. A stretchy oh, okay. thing, like a yeah, a dental dam or something. Yeah. It was like a, le- a leather, a, you know, leather skin, an animal skin or something that they're using. Them. Yeah. 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 Okay, like that makes more sense. Him. I was getting like a Matrix, uh, you know, Neo's mouth disappearing uh, or whatever, like as a horror. No, I, I think it was. I think it was a. I think it was a thing. Practical. But, okay. Um, yeah, I like. I like. I like the idea that his face was being taken away as well. There are some other faces taken away in this. In this whole. In this whole thing. So it's not yeah. entirely off base. Like right. The the losing of faces is kind of a thing. <laughs> um, in the in the movie, yeah, and like and like it's it's. It feels just like there's something about the action in the movie that feels so punchy. Like everything just feels like you're just it's just really kinetic and you're getting hit the whole time by all of the all all of the various bits. So it kind of establishes from the beginning what the tone's going to be. Well, speaking of setting a tone, can we talk about Immortan Joe's beauty regimen straight from Geeky Prime? Yeah. Your skin love to me. Yeah, <laughs> there is a very yeah. Harkonnen thing going on there, and I wouldn't be surprised right? if, if Miller was pulling on that a little bit, or the or the description from yeah. the book or whatever. But there's a very yeah, there is a very, um, but I, I again the world building, you know this this guy mm. is obviously you know sick. Uh, a bunch of the war boys are sick, you know, coming apart from, you know, cancer and whatever else you're getting right. from the irradiated desert that they're living right. in. Um, and, and, uh, again, all that stuff is implied. Like no one is sitting there explaining to you, okay, well he has six virgins and he's trying to continue his line and, you know, he's holding off anybody else from reproducing and so that he can, ca- you know, carry on his, uh, his uh, succession or his seed or whatever. Mm. And the weird, the weird milking room, uh, that yeah. haunt yeah. our dreams for all time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, the little guy with the telescope and all that. And it's just, I, th- like I said, just the, 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 the fact that like they went weird with it. And mo- I realized in watching the movie again, that like 
most of these things you don't see because you don't see R-rated films anymore. Nobody makes mm, R-rated genre yeah. films anymore. And that stuff would just not exist in a clean PG-13, you know, right. made for the right. summer movie audience you know, crowd. And that's why that movie is so visually arresting because you usually only see those things on premium television now mm. in, in, you know, big high art genre pieces. Right. Um, like they make on HBO. Yeah. Well, I do love that the little guy uh, is named Corpus Colossus, and um, yeah, all of the names in this—it's a cover name. Is great. It's just incredible. Yeah. Um, but I didn't realize. So the whole time when everybody was referring to him as Dad, um, I was assuming that was kind of like they think of him as their father. Um, but I finally realized once uh, once the organic mechanic determines that the baby is dead, but that it was healthy. And says you would have had a healthy brother. That notion right. that a bunch of them are all deformed. Right. Um, and so that's why Immortan Joe is pushing so hard um, yep. to, to make this happen. Yep. Yeah. And becoming immortal by having, you know, he's got a Genghis Khan number of kids. Mm. Right. Mm. But his presence uh, is absolutely incredible. He stands up. Once again, we send off my war rig to bring back gasoline from Castown. And bullets from the bullet bar. Once again, I salute my Imperator Furiosa, and I salute my half-life warboys who will ride with me eternal on the highways of Valhalla. I love this. This is a great speech. He's, I mean, his other faults notwithstanding, he's a good orator, a Morton Joe. Uh, you gotta, you gotta say, so you'd he's follow, got some good, he'd follow him to Bullet Town, Jason. <laughs> yeah. Listen, I was definitely thinking about like, what would my role be in this society? I'm like, I'd, I'd be all in on a Morton Joe. <laughs> like, this seems good. I can maybe play the maybe drums. Maybe I can work my way up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, but he is not necessarily the most efficient at dispersing water to the people, like just <laughs> dumping, you know, a fire hose of water on people. Uh, this is like, you know, like I was talking about the cultural impact of this movie and like this, like gif is one of my most used go-to gifs of like a Morton Joe turning on the water. I feel it's just like applicable in any number of situations of wow. where like, people are willing to settle for like the bare minimum, um, <laughs> from whoever. And it's just like, you know, like, yes, he's a great leader he's turned on the water again yes yeah i love that i love it it's so good like the whole visual of it's great the fact that he's using like a boat you know engine uh controls like, and respect to the third ad crowd casting where did you find those faces down there yes man? where yeah, did they come from faces. yeah yeah my goodness yeah australia one <laughs> thing that i did notice about this bookend it, it makes a lot more sense now to know that rewatching it in the context that this was added on at the end, there's a lot of CG in this. Uh, a lot of the shots here are very much more CG than most of what we see through the rest of the movie. Um, so that was just kind of interesting, mm. slightly different tonally um, from the rest of it. But the jump from there to Furiosa in the war rig on this run to Gastown. Uh, Jason, not Tire Town. This is not Solar Babies, uh, but maybe that's another... <laughs> That's that's a town over. <laughs> and, uh, that's down by but, the Hammock District. Yeah, yeah. But my notes just say her look. My God, the hair, the makeup, the black on her forehead, the arm. Yeah, she looks great. It's it just a great look. It looks so good. 
the arm is such a great detail too. And that was, yeah, that was a pain in the ass. Cause it was a, it was a costume prosthetic. It had green on it. So every time you saw our arm, they had to do right. digital erasure and whatever, but like committing to committing to a committing to an idea. And also that like total willingness to take the work of art that is Charlize there and, and like, yeah, fuck her up, mess it up. To, you yeah. know, for the mm. sake of like telling a story and world building. Whereas another director that was maybe less confident or, you know, had the studio in his face more would have been forced to, you know, put the expected Charlie's there and she wears a glove. Yeah. Well, just, and the haircut and the face and everything, but oh, the yeah, more yeah. expected Charlie's there on, on screen and, uh, and credit to her for two, like committing and, and, you know, playing that version of the role. So cool. So cool. Um, I, I do love that when she diverts the every, everybody, all of her lieutenants immediately accept it. And there's no question about yeah. it. New orders have come down. Yeah. So the, the, the delineation of how power is distributed, it's similar to like, you know, Bannerman or whatever in, in Game of Thrones. It's like implicit trust um, until countermanding orders, um, you know, finally come down. But so she's stolen and Martin Joe's five wives, which we'll get to in a minute. But um, Nux, we have Nicholas Holt, who is really great in this. Nicholas Holt is great. Really he's great in everything, guys. That's Nicholas true. Holt is, is a is a uh, I think he's British. So he's an, he's our national treasure here. Not but he is a na- whatever nation he comes from. He's a national treasure. Have mm. you seen The Great? He is so fucking funny. He's so good. The, in I haven't yeah. watched it yet. It's yeah. good. I haven't yeah. watched it consistently, yeah. but he's great in it. Yeah. He's great in the menu. Yep. Mm. Yeah. He's just consistently good wherever yeah, wherever he shows up. Mm. Yeah. Nice. Well, he looks great here and, and his performance is fantastic. He's sick from the irradiated waste he's, and he's using Max as the blood bag. And when he's going to get left behind, you know, and, and he's told he's too sick, um, he's like, I'll bring my, my blood bag along. That's right. High octane crazy blood filling me up. If I'm going to die... I'm gonna die historic on the Fury Road. Just awesome. The notion of them kind of balancing and the guy, once he stands him back up, um, you know, they they do kind of support each other. Like he he convinces him to uh, you know, to give him there. And the notion of all of the steering wheels and selecting your steering wheel out of the, you know, the pile of them. Just holy cow. Another great piece of world building, you know, the religious, the religious mm-hmm. artifacts, you know, taking your shield. Before you go into the, uh, you know, uh, setting out on the on the on the on the road to Mecca to the cru- the crusade, whatever whatever you want the comparison to be, mm. but it's related back to the you know the trucks, which is what they or the vehicles, which is what they rely on because those are their mm-hmm. horses in this world. I mean, it's just it, it's such a cool little detail, and uh, actually a bunch of those um, have over the years not not the hero ones, but the background, the set deck ones have shown up. Okay, uh, and uh, at, at you know various private sales and things like they're around and they're awesome because they're each one is made by hand they're you know i knew a buddy had one that's like a big 18 wheeler one again not Mm. from the war rig but from one of the others and it's like 18 pounds and it's got like a Mm. chrome skull on it and they, they, they really like they went and just made you know i don't know a few dozen of these things to put up on that on that you know steering wheel wall and glorious yeah. the uh the worst detail of the behind the scenes story was the first time they were in namibia after working for two years building all the cars and getting everything ready when they had to shut shut it down literally the car guy and like two assistants spent 18 hours chopping all the cars into pieces because they couldn't yeah. leave them intact that was their their orders yeah. and so just like the notion of spending all that time building it and then having to break you know cut it down ugh. 
nightmare. Yeah. But it's a, it's just incredible. And this first time I've seen the war party, Max strapped to the front of the car, the drummers coming over the top, and we've got Coma yeah. Doof with his guitar. Fuck yeah. This is like, I was just, as I was watching it this time, I was like, someone had this idea. Someone like had, was the first person to have the idea that was like, what we're going to have in this like war party. Cause like at some point it was just on the page or wherever it like started as like, you know, they, they are in pursuit of the, right, of right, the car. Right, right. Uh, and someone was like, all right, well, what's going to be in there? And like someone had the idea that there was going to be a guitarist, like stra- like a metal guitarist strapped to the front of like a giant speaker riser. Um, and that that was going to be one of the cars. In With pursuit. fire. I just want to salute yeah. that person <laughs> this for movie, their vision. This movie is a fever dream, guys. It's just yes. it's yeah. an absolute like it's it's a trip that's been put on yeah. put on i know celluloid yeah. it's not even celluloid yeah. put on a digital video card yeah <laughs> yeah put on a hard drive it's just incredible yeah. uh, rusty in um in discord says that he's an actual musician uh as well not just a not just a oh for sure the doof oh yes yeah yeah he's also a eunuch yes yeah, yeah. Uh, so they, uh, you know, uh, Furiosa in the war rig is attacked by the buzzards. Um, I thought it was great that these guys, they look like Tuscan Raiders. Yeah. Their cars are super distinct. They look like porcupine, you know, like spears or whatever. Um, but they speak Russian. Oh, is that what they're speaking? Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So like these guys came across the salt at some point, uh, you know, mm. saying like, I guess we'll try Australia and see if there's anything good down there. That's an amazing detail. Yeah, I bet I bet Russia in the Mad Max universe is not great. Super <laughs> not chill. <laughs> or guys, possibly very much the same. You never know. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. It's just nothing changed. Like Keith Urban was still inside that nightclub for three days that he was in in the Bourne movies. <laughs> like it just like came out and the world has gone to shit completely. Like nah, yeah. going back in. Yeah, oh, Hasselhoff yeah. is their god. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, so this is where we have our first time of in these attacks. We have the explosive harpoons, um, and we have one of the guys that is helping to defend the war rig uh, spraying the silver paint on his face, and then the silence on the leap, and then the explosion when those harpoons hit. Yes. I just remember seeing the spray paint and, and like you almost don't, it's so fast, it's hard to catch it the first time. Each time it gets more intense, but like, I, I just didn't even know what was happening. Like my brain was exploding and misfiring, uh, trying to comprehend what I was seeing. Yeah. Yeah. I also was like, I look, and I got to be honest, I watched a good chunk for the rewatch on my phone, even what? on my phone. Because I was in transit and I had to I had to get it done. Even on my phone, like this scene stood out as ridiculous. Um, so I was I, I it it tra- I've seen it in IMAX 3D and on an iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> Scorsese is pissed right now. Yeah, the two uh, two disparate He's formats. Yeah, I mean, yeah. again, just I will hammer it through this whole thing. World building. Yeah, you know the, this the pseudo religion mm. and just understanding. Okay. I, from living in popular culture, I understand the little bits of this and that and how they've repieced it together and made this kind of like pseudo like samurai Viking religion thing. And the witness, you know, it's oh God, it's 
it's great. Yeah. It's re- it's really great. So and and by the way, Immortan Joe played by Hugh Keys Byrne, who was toe cutter in the original Mad Max, and in the opening sequence of Mad Max, which was the part that I remembered more than anything from my childhood. You have the Night Rider, who is this out of control psychotic guy driving very fast, and he says uh, he says toe cutter sees me. Um, so that's a nice little uh, bit of connectivity uh, back to this film. Um, so the shot of the race to the sandstorm and can the war rig get to the sandstorm before they're caught? It's just, again, I want to shout out the director of photography of this film, John Seal. He did going back to deep cut the hitcher, uh, with our man, Rutger Hauer. Yeah. Uh, you have any of the shotguns from that movie, Ryan? No, no, I have no Mad Max shotguns and I have no Hitcher shotguns, unfortunately. (laughs) So John Seale did that. Dead Poets, English Patient, pretty big movie, Mm. pretty big cinematography movie. Talented Mr. Ripley and 3,000 Years of Longing. Um, So another another uh, George Miller movie. Yes, with Mm -hmm. with, uh, you know, our our beloved Tilda. uh, Tilda Swinton. So. once they get inside the sandstorm and you have lightning tornadoes. Lightning tornadoes. <laughs> just rad. Listen, why don't more movies have lightning tornadoes? If you can do, I mean, like, 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 it just feels like there should have been seven movies about lightning tornadoes already. It's such a cool idea. Like, my God. This did remind me we had Eric on the pod earlier this year for Shadow and Bone. Oh, yeah. Um, and that has the Shadow Fold, which is like that, it right? It does. Inside. The Shadow Fold does have light. See, there's two. Nice. Two. Yeah. Yeah. Lightning. Keep them lightning coming. Tornado month. <laughs> but the notion of the car getting lifted up and then exploding. This felt like biblical to me because it's like the notion of like a pillar of fire in the desert. Like, yeah. you know, and like, you know, what even would people have made of this in like pre-literate times? And it's just like, yeah, like they drove into a, you know, what is it? A haboob? Like one of like, you know, they drove into like some ridiculous storm and inside a car got sucked into a vortex uh, and exploded. It's great. It's so great. It's so great. And Nux, you know, seeing them explosion. Oh, what a day. What a lovely day. What a lovely day. It's at this point I also made the note. It was like, this is not a movie that you would expect to be able to pass the Bechdel test at this point. Like, you know, when we're <laughs> when we're kind of, you know, when we're like watching yeah. like, uh, when we're watching a, a car just get exploded. The over under at this point tornado. is uh, you know, it's, it's like very a, bad. It's like a, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's like a Floyd Floyd Mayweather tomato can match, yeah. you know? It's like, exactly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Don't oh my god. You know, take the uh, so so, you know, you get this final huge explosion um, and the shot of Max waking up in the sand. I had forgotten about that shot. And when I was rewatching it at first, I was like, is this a like a landscape shot? Like it looks like mountains or something. And then him coming up in slow motion. It's just uh, so gorgeous. Um, such mm-hmm. a beautiful thing. Um, but Walking around the corner, he has this whole thing of trying to get the the chains off. He can't get it off. He can't get the mask off. He's you know he's going to try and bite off Nux's hand to to chew his hand off. Um, but then he hears something and he walks around the corner, and this is when he sees the five wives um, who are in the midst of bathing. Um, so you have yeah. the splendid uh, Angerod, the Dag, Toast, the Knowing, Cheeto, the Fragile, and Capable. 
Those are good. Those are good names. This reminded me of like the shot from Amazing. like of the sirens in um, totally oh brother where I thought. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. 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 There is, there is a, you know, going back to your early point, Jason, there is a biblical sort of feel to this story. That right. it, it feels like it's, I, I don't know. It feels like it's, it's an, uh, it's a Homeric story. And I don't know whether yeah. it's biblical or whether it's like an, it's a Homeric, like an odyssey or something like that. But there are definitely, is, I feel like you could track that imagery as you go through the movie, you could fit like a biblical tale or possibly the odyssey into, you know, if that was Scylla and Charbidus, the, uh, the, you know, the, the storm, then these mm, are the sirens yeah. and, and, um, and, uh, you know, and on and on we go, um, I don't know who the Cyclops is, but, um, but, uh, that's what I, that's what I love about it. And I think that's the stuff that sort of permeates through and makes you feel like you're watching something that's kind of elemental on a, uh, human storytelling level it's it's almost like an um an oral history like an epic tale the way that was told told but you know done on a 300 million dollar budget <laughs> yeah <laughs> with scorpion I, cars I, I, I love this notion like because i think there, like you could totally imagine that there's some biblical or like other epic that features like you know an Immortan Joe and his two like, you know, co-rulers of like, you know, the town of weapons and the town of fuel, you know, like you could totally just imagine that that has some antecedent and other myth. Um, even if you don't know what exactly it's referencing, it, it, it feels like that's the level at which this whole thing is Operates. meant to operate. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, the other thing that is really amazing here is Max is essentially only speaking in single syllables. You know, he's like right. yeah. water, um, you know, uh, bolt cutters, whatever, like, yeah. and, and the way he is just gesturing with the gun and he's so, he's so out of control. Um, it's just, it's really fascinating. But this fight, this three-way fight between Furiosa and the wives versus Knox versus Max, it's really funny. And the choreography, the fight choreography is really, really strong. Um, so I just, I love how they, how they did that. I will say George Miller, a 70 year old man ate everybody's lunch that year, just in terms of yeah. blocking and action, you know, uh, blocking, uh, uh, shot design, sequence design, storyboard design. Like you could probably go through the list of all of the, uh, the big, uh, sort of blue screen action movies that came out in 2015 and right. uh, all done by directors half of his age. And, and George Miller just, you know, took all their lunch money. It was, it was great to watch. Yep. So how do you, how do you do that on, on dragon? Like, do you, uh, you know, you're right. You're writing the fight. How many, how many elements of the fight do you put in there? Do you put like key turning points in there or you just sort of have like a, a general description? Yeah. You're writing the dramatic experience of the fight, I think. And like all of us do, you know, my writing partner, Sarah Hess, and I, I think approach it a bit differently, but essentially both of us are trying to put down the, the dramatic work on the, on the page. You want to understand where the, the key turning points are in it, but you don't want to do too much scripted action on the page because the director's just going to redo it anyway. But if there's mm -hmm. a key moment where somebody, you know, breaks a sword or whatever, uh, yeah, you know, uh, files their uh, files their their muzzle off their head. Um, you you want to make sure that's in there, and then it goes uh, you know off to director, and then they they you know, they tend to to do the sequence with the storyboard artist in, co in conjunction with stunts. We have this amazing stunt coordinator Raleigh Imran, who uh, Rowley uh, Imran, who uh, who um, 
worked on the original thrones and all that, but like he, you know, he basically knows he has this encyclopedic knowledge of everything that was done before in not only in, in our show and our franchise, but also all the other stuff that's going on right now. And mm-hmm. he'll say, this is the cool thing that we haven't seen. And then he starts to build moments and sequences around it. And like, so it becomes a very collaborative effort from, from there forward. And either if the, if the action is with, uh, physical actors, it gets storyboarded. If it's with, um, uh, digital actors like dragons, it gets, you know, gets previs. And then you, you work from there and develop it. And sometimes you end up rewriting the script to fit the, you know, the new, you know, the, the, the action design essentially mm-hmm. of it. Uh, if you need to new slug lines and things are moving from room to room and whatever. So it, it's a very collaborative experience, but it's, you know, it starts on the page with what, you know, what's the, basically what's the dramatic experience? Why are we watching this fight? What is the dramatic right. experience of going from here to there with the, uh, the, 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 the journey you're taking the audience on from here to there where they come out the other side, not just having seen this great spectacle, but also having felt something moving the story from, you know, point A to point B, what it, yeah, that's 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 ultimately what's get, gets written down on the page. Mm. Cool. It's funny the idea of wanting to do stuff that's never been done. We talked about it last week on uh, Dave's recommendation doing "To Live and Die in L.A." And freaking was like, no one has ever shot an action scene where a car drives the wrong way on the freeway. So we're going to do right. that. We're going to do this. <laughs> Excellent. Just crazy. Yeah, yeah and crazy. sometimes it's there. Yeah. Um, all right. So in the end, Max wins, uh, although his shotgun doesn't work, it misfires. Um, but so he takes off, he chooses to leave them behind. Um, but the kill switch prevents him from getting very far. Yeah. I love a kill switch. Yeah. So she catches up to him. And so first of all, there's graffiti on the side of the driver's door that is yeah. her arm. The metal, the metal yeah. arm right there. It's so awesome. So it's fucking cool. awesome. Awesome. That was another one. Someone came up with that idea and was just like high fives, high fives to everyone who came <laughs> up with like, you know, what's going to be great is like, she's got this fake metal arm. We're going to put a skeleton and arm on the door, right where her arm would be. It's just great. It's just great. Yes. How, how proud would you be to just have an idea that good in your life? Uh, let alone like for a whole, a whole bunch of movies. This is, I think also. This, for some reason, I think it's when we see Furiosa, like, starting to be more vulnerable and, like, as a caretaker with the other women and, like, also a badass that I can understand from Tom Hardy's perspective being confused a bit um, in the, and obviously they didn't shoot in sequence probably, but, like, just in, like, sort of trying to understand how the movie's coming together. Right. Where it's, like, the opening of the movie is, like, he's haunted by these visions of people he couldn't save. And it's like the fucking name of the movie is Mad Max. Like it should ostensibly be about him. And then there's this very deliberate, noticeable shift to actually the hero of this movie is Furiosa. Right. Um, and, and like, I could just, I could see as the person playing Mad Max being confused about like what we were actually doing. And is this going to read as a coherent narrative? Cause like it, that shouldn't work, frankly, like you shouldn't actually be able to swap out hero um, in the middle of the movie um, and, and have it be just legible to an audience of like what's going on. And similarly, like, I think it's the same thing. Like the action shouldn't like, there's many movies that have had chases that, 
wouldn't even read as like that you wouldn't even know that this was going to read as as kind of understandable and the physics of it all makes sense so i could understand why being in this movie would be very confusing and you would just have to take it on faith so so two things um first of all hardy said there was almost no script um that they were working off of that would be difficult i i'm not an actor but i would find that probably a challenge to not have a script yeah there's storyboards yeah but even yeah so him him signing up to do the movie he probably didn't realize how much of the focus was was going to Furiosa um, in the midst of that. You know, it would be hard to convey that. But he did say that 100% of the storyboards were there. And no matter what they tried to do to change it, George would always follow the storyboards and got basically 100% uh, mm. of it there. The other thing, Jason, to your point about having two heroes um, sharing it, it reminds me we did, we did uh, The Fugitive. And there you've got Tommy Lee Jones and Harrison Ford, both as badass, amazing heroes, both working in cross purposes. Um, but that's like and another example. So I thought this was genius having two, having two heroes. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And she's the one, she's ultimately the one that kind of goes through the change in the end. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, Max, I guess, you know, he does. He, no, he's he, just, he's he, just, he's back where he started. He it's, does, all, it's like, nothing's really changed. He's a no, bit no, more that's not true. self. He's a bit more selfless at the end. Yeah. It's a, yeah. it's a slight, it's a, but I mean, I furiously goes to this huge arc. Right. 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 For sure. Yeah. Um, well, so, uh, let's see. So I love the number of guns that they pull out of the, the war rig. Um, and, uh, Nux is captured and he really sells, uh, his fanatic, uh, stuff, but now we're into the canyons. So we've got the score through this whole thing is incredible. Uh, this is junkie, junkie XL. XL. Yeah. Yeah. Who did among other things, Blade Runner 2049, um, with Hans, but has done all Zach's movies since Batman versus Superman battle angel Alita Kev. Hello. Um, Kev's Kev has been waiting for battle angel Alita month. Have you seen it? Patch. Ryan, have you seen it? No. I've never seen it. Uh, no one's seen no. it except Kev, who watched it 17 times. He was single-handedly <laughs> responsible for like 30% of the box office the entirety. I, I could not get myself up for those huge Paw Patrol eyes on that on that. The, it's human so freaky. So yeah. weird. Like Dora the Explorer the, the, and the like some kind Valley. of like. Yeah. That's, yeah. Why, that's why I didn't watch it, but um, I've heard some good reports on it. So I don't know what to tell you. Um, we'll figure out what happens. Swipe or no swiping. Did you guys get the Dora the Explorer animated feature short before Paw Patrol the Mighty? We did. We did. It was very weird. Yeah. Did Dora, get, did Dora also get um, dubbed with an English accent? Does no. she have a British Spanish accent? No, that was accent? the American Dora. <laughs> okay. my, my five-year-old was also pissed about that because she said, this is not Paw Patrol. And I said, no, it's not. I don't know what the hell it is. Very that weird. was really weird. It was like really weird. It was very strange. The quality on that did not seem what I would have expected. To... Right. <laughs> yeah. But Paw Patrol famously, like that had a small budget. Like that's part of their yeah. part of their magic for, for world domination. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So now we have Nux gets tossed back on board by Rictus, uh, to take down Furiosa and we have the best wife who's there and you think she's going to get killed, but then she doesn't. You have Max giving that thumbs up, which is incredible. And then her falling, um, and Mm. Joe driving over her with his car, Giga Horse, (laughs) which is a great name name. for a car. The people who worked like, again, in the just high five category everyone who came up with a proper noun mm. for this script in this movie a plus genius work 
yeah. genius A plus work. Like just great jobs all around. <laughs> and naming, I assume, is hard. Like I, I think it would be very hard to come up with names, especially for this, where they're kind of funny, yeah. but like also not. Yeah, like that's right a very difficult place. That, that, that's mm-hmm. the yeah. hardest stuff to do. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Jesus. So the shift, uh, both tonally and visually tonight for the night run. It, to me, it was just so beautiful, incredible. And the notion, the tension building so much, uh, the bullet farmer getting blinded yeah, and then Max sending them ahead as he goes and walks into the fog and you just hear the sound of, of just violence happening. And then him walking back out, it's just uh, stunning. Uh, both yeah. the shots amazing and then what you've just conveyed the fact that he just went and murdered all those guys yeah um, yeah have you guys intense. seen the chrome edition of this i i have it it's i on- almost watched it i almost watched it for this viewing but i wanted to relive the whole thing and yeah i saw it in the uh, theater when they when they first <laughs> wow. came out with it yeah la did a, really? did a screening at like the, that's hot i think this the silent movie theater uh in it was in hollywood somewhere with my friend uh, jerry duggan wow and uh it's very gimmicky and like you watch it and you're like this is cool but it's much better in color <laughs> it's, it's oh, worth yeah, an exercise yeah. if you've seen the movie five times just because it's fun yeah. to see but this sequence i remember particularly standing out in that mm, in the black and white yeah Oh, cool. I'll have to check that out. Apparently Miller walked in on, um, I forget what, which movie it was, but I guess maybe it was this one. He walked in on, on the scoring and he saw the kind of the rough cut in black and white that they were using for that and was like, yeah. whoa, that looks good. Let's check that out. Yeah. But the final shot, Jason, I fell out of my chair. The guys on the stilts yeah, and the, and the crows. The I'm crows? just like, yeah. Beautiful. Love the crows. Wow. Jim Henson was stoked wherever he was. <laughs> ah! It was like a very like it was like a very like labyrinth sort of like touch to do. Yes. Of just like, yeah, there's gonna be some fucking weird, like, you know, that's like it's it is actually the way in which they less the labyrinth and more dark crystal, because it's basically the same way they do the land striders yeah. in in Dark Crystal. Yeah. Um it looked great. It looked great. So good. You could see this all being monochromatic too. Mm. This is I I had a note, you know, I wanted to shout out my um my high school English teacher, my AP English teacher, Mr. Dulick, who was a really good English teacher. And we did, he's the one that showed me um, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. He's the one that um, he taught us, he taught us Hamlet also. When we did Beowulf in his class, he's the one that assigned me the Grendel Batman comics as like like an official reading to do for it or whatever. Um, So just a really, like one of those like really special teachers who can like break open your mind when you're 16. And he always had this thing because we were doing like Canterbury Tales and Beowulf and like all these like big epic stories that you have to look for what the midpoint of the story is because like Beowulf is like you know, there's there's all these scenes where it's it tells you like, you know, wealthy Al comes in and does this and then some action happens and then wealthy Al leaves. And it's like this perfectly folded in thing, because in you know oral storytelling, it would be the way in which like they would re- remember the structure is like you've got to like, you know, work it up to the point and then work it back out exactly symmetrically. Mm. Um, and this like carries over to a lot of storytelling and like the midpoint of this movie is exactly like this like blue like this this like when we cut to this blue stuff that happens in the middle where it's like all of a sudden like this tonally you're in this vacant space um that doesn't match anything that came before anything come before and it is the turning point of like when they resolve to like you know 
no like you know it works up to it but when they resolve to like start their their journey back the journey um, back, and yeah, so very good. it's it is it you know kind of ryan's point earlier about the kind of epic storytelling roots of this it is super intentional what they're doing in like just the basic structure of uh of the movie um and i i i appreciate mr dulick who's still out there for for keying me into that key aspect of of how these stories work mm, love it love it we salute you mr dulick he's a great guy He's a great guy. So Max wakes up the next day with dreams of Splendid's unborn baby. Uh, there's the shot of the giant bulging eyeballs, which I realized was from uh, Toe Cutter's death scene in the original Mad Max. Mm. Ah, okay. You have, uh, as they arrive where Furious's tribes are, we've got Max's that's bait dot gif. That's bait. Once we learn that the green place was where the crows were and that there's no more mothers, we have Furiosa Neils dot gif. Um, so just a rich, uh, a rich thing. And then like setting up the old women, the woman with the seeds and stuff like that is, again, we talked about this when we did aliens, like you don't need all the backstory the way that Hollywood does now trying to replicate what was captured on, on aliens. Like that little detail of her having the seeds and remembering what it was like is enough. And you remember her, uh, for all time. Yeah, for sure. And you get subtly get this idea that there, even though it seems like the wasteland is all one thing, there are these different tribes and cultures that are, you know, have very different Mm. rules and structures societal structures and and everything and and as there as there would be it's it's become this very tribal place totally yeah totally um so max says that hope is a mistake uh as furious is uh, planning to lead them across across assault going across the ocean essentially it's uh, the name of my memoir <laughs> across assault yeah hope is a mistake hope <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. Uh, so, so he, he has this vision. So this is glory, the child, uh, who says, come on, pa. Um, and that character was one that he had saved in the comic prequel that George Miller wrote, uh, for this. And then she ended up getting killed just before the, the events of this movie began, um, by a war boy. Um, so, now they're just, it's just on the, it's full octane from here on out. Um, them running for the canyon, the body count, very high. Almost all of the Vuvalini get, get taken out. Great. Another great fucking name. The yeah. Vuvalini. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Incredible. It's, it's my favorite pasta. <laughs> Vuvalini. Oh, it's delicious. <laughs> nice clam sauce. <laughs> well done. It, it was crazy seeing these polecats in the theater, seeing this happen. Like, and when they like grab out um, Zoe um, and take her, uh, take her out. When they grab Max and like almost run him into the ground, it's just that's wild. How did they come up with these ideas? Do we think? Do we think that this is a feminist movie or not? Like, based on, now that we've kind of open the the Volvolini of it all like I, like I think there's I think there's it's there it's interesting the reaction that there's a lot of people and this was sort of pre the woke backlash but there were a lot of people who got pissed at this movie uh of the men's rights world because they uh they thought like they were getting like feminism crammed down their throat through uh um through like an action movie context um and you know 
they they were like, oh, like I didn't know that, like you know, the the author of the vagina monologues was like working with George Miller on this, and like all the you know, I feel like I was duped or whatever. But there's so there's like the and then you know there's the reading of Furiosa, like you know, and the Furiosa memes of like you know men screaming or whatever, like as like this really strong uh, icon. But then there's this other reading which is like the women characters are still kind of forced into this like nurturing like you know it, it still ultimately is up to the women to be like the nurturing life-giving like you know kind of traditional feminine uh you know traditional feminine roles um with some uh, occasional face ripping with some occasional face ripping the the furiosa of it all i think kind of brings it back around but yeah um, if you're if furiosa i mean she's the one the one character that does break the mold because all the other women in the in the story do fall very much into that yeah. Even the Volvolini, you know, it, yeah. it, it feels very much like that, you know, sort of nurture. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I never really thought of it, but I, you know, I would say it's sort of, it, it feels kind of neutral, uh, mm-hmm. ni- ni- neither one nor the other. I don't think it's trying to make a point. And I think that's kind of the best place to be in a movie like this where, you know, you don't want to feel like suddenly you're reading a term paper. Definitely. I, so listen, listen, I, I think there's nothing wrong with the notion of having, um, feminine aspects uh and having the the Vavalini and uh the wives celebrating the fact that they are women um and wanting to support that but the Vavalini are right up on top of the trucks shooting people getting driven over uh you know doing all that battle splendid is in the mix of it true they all are are standing up so i i think they i think this is definitely on solid footing and there's no reason why any movie can't have a male and a female character both being amazing yeah uh, we just did speed um, you know, so like, it's definitely possible. And also just like, fuck yeah. those guys. Like those yeah. are the same assholes complaining about Luke. So yeah. like, yeah, yeah. It's okay, yeah. guys. It's not, yeah. it's not going to turn you gay. That's, um, you're, you're, you're born, you're born that way. It's just fine. And if, and if you are, then that's fine too. Cause someone will love you and it's, it's all going to be okay. Perhaps as a clue though, uh, Nicholas Holt is British and was born in Wokingham, if you wanted to know, <laughs> there you go. Maybe if reality was speaking to you. <laughs> oh man, that's really funny. Uh, what is well, this Wokingham? You know, <laughs> as we as we race to the conclusion here, Joe pulls in front of the war rig and slams on the brakes, damaging the engine. Which Jason, we just talked about it. We have the Millennium Falcon sound effect. Oh yeah, yeah, which is really funny. I like that. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, so Furiosa basically is able to take out um, Joe, which I thought was very sudden. I I had forgotten that it's just that, and it's over. Yeah. Um, but now we get Witness Me Part Three, um, and I just love that. Nox is Nox is great in in that moment. It's great. It's a great like. It's a great character that they gave like a whole arc to, and again is like. I think it's partly a testament to Nicholas Holt doing a great job, but like, it's a really difficult, that's a really difficult thing. I mean, like it's essentially taking like a stormtrooper and like turning them into a hero in the context of one movie. Yeah. He's a beta um, character it, and anybody, yeah. but he makes, he makes it, I mean, it's his incredible performance. He makes it human and believable. And you see the, the, the this he, he is a stormtrooper. Yeah. But he goes through this meaningful thing. And at the end he feels like a human. Mm. Yeah. Really good. 
Uh, and Joe's already dead. So he's like, witness me is now like the collective. It's, it's about us sharing the story as opposed to just Joe looking at you, mm-hmm. um, which I think is really cool. So now we see Max, uh, he remembers he's a universal donor, so he can give a blood transfusion, uh, to her. I love the way he talks to her. Yes. I love the way Matt, Matt I love the way Tom Hardy does his dialogue in, in this there's a one other scene I can't remember, but where he's talking in this very kind of like gentle, nurturing way, and he's apologizing to her. Sorry. There you go. Okay. Yes. Or when he when he punctures her when he punctures her chest to like you know help with the the collapsed lung, and when he like puts the IV in, he's like sorry. It's like and it's just like it's this like. It's this way of doing tenderness from this like very tough character um, that I, I fucking love Tom Hardy. I absolutely love Tom Hardy. He is uh, he's one of my favorite things. H put in once again, <laughs> the Russian, the- you people <laughs> hunting me mom with, with dogs. dogs. <laughs> you people, right? you hunted my mom with dogs through the snot. Put that, put it in again. Play it again. <laughs> okay, so I'll People play. need to hear it. You people. I'm just disappointed we didn't get a shotgun time today. I know, I know. I thought we were, but- uh, The misfired was, double barrel. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> oh, the misfired double barrel. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but so you're- There's a misfired shotgun talk segment. <laughs> Uh, it fizzled. I, fizz- I fizzled it. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. Our, our primer, our primer didn't work. <laughs> well, no, it's Jason. It's just because what you hit is this is the this is the climax of the film. When she earlier asked him what his name was, he said it doesn't matter, and so she says, "Well, I'll just call you fool." And at this moment, after the after the transfusion is going, he leans over and gently says, "Max, my name <laughs> is Max. Yeah, that's my name. That's right. And that's right." When he says, "That's my name." It's him remembering who he is and it's That's him right. choosing to be someone as opposed to just being the road warrior. Yeah. Um, so to me, that is the huge piece. They roll back to the Citadel. Jason, we've talked about how power uh, you know, dynamics can shift governmentally. Like you just tossed Joe's body out and now you're you know, you're the new. That's how the Republicans selected the new speaker. <laughs> That's right. Is they just <laughs> they like just show 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 the body of Kevin McCarthy and they're like, all right, well, I guess we got to do something else. They brought I don't back know. a Morton McCarthy. <laughs> right. Yeah, and, then, exactly. uh, and then a new guy opens the uh, the water flow yeah. to just dump yeah. down on the uh, all the, the Trumpies waiting outside. Waiting the, for, wait, as Matt yeah, Gates sneaks out. You know? Yeah, yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah, Boy. here there were six virgins outside. and uh, Yeah, exactly. Unfortunately, they're too old. But yeah. <laughs> Um, that, and, and so then we have this, interestingly, this kind of final title card at the end, right? Um, yes, I read about this, this, like please. that intrigued me enough that I went to go read about it. Where um, must we go? We wanderers of this wasteland, the first men. What is that? The is that first for- history man, the first history man. Okay. So the, the, the history men are like part of the Mad Max, like extended universe. Of what? Lore. Yeah. Where it's like, it's like the people who are, it's like connected to like the, every nights we do the tales, you know, like of like, there's like some the true, like true? in the Mad Max universe, there's going to be some people who are recording like these tales of like what happened. And like, so there's ostensibly a first one. Holy um, and shit. so it's like there, it's like, it's like this self-referential storytelling about the storytelling. Mm. Um, 
but it was a really cool, it was a really cool thing that I like clocked into. I was like, I want to know more about that. And like, then I wanted to know more about like the Mad Max universe, which frankly I had not really wondered that much about. Um, mm. So I was, I was, uh, I was grateful that there was a wiki that I could, I could dive into. But what do you think, Ryan, the choice, like, I would have thought you would put that title card up at the very beginning, right? Before the engine is revving, as opposed to, I don't think I've ever seen a title card like that used at the end of a movie. But that's what I love about it. I just love, I love how they break the, you know, they break the rules and like this whole thing, people shit on the movie because they, you know, nothing happened because they began and started in the same place. But like, yeah, but sort of everything happened. Everything happened. Just because you come back to, you know, come back to square one doesn't mean you know i mean odysseus got you know went back to ithaca at the end but sort of a lot That's changed <laughs> yeah along the in, way in, yeah. His, in his life yeah and in the interview it's the it's the uh, it's the journey not the destination it's the faces we ripped off along the way it's that's right <laughs> yeah. and then together and we did it yeah. together um yeah I, I i love that it it sort of sets us off on almost suggesting that this is a prequel that like this, this is the beginning Mm. and you know, it's the beginning of this kind of, you know, new post reality, whatever. But, uh, um, yes, I, I love the bold choice of it. Cause like, as you said, you'd expect to see a title card at the beginning, Mm. but instead you got the VO at the the great VO, you know, my name is Mm. Max. Yes. Yeah. Wow. All right. Jason, who would Tilda Swinton play? Uh, was this what the guitarist, right? I mean, definitely like a <laughs> hundred, like, 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 I think that's, I don't see how, I don't see how there's many, I guess there's a lot of good choices, but that's for me, number one. It's I the most it, obvious. For yes. sure. I yeah. love yes. it. Ryan, how about you? That was my answer. So I'm, I'm just going to have to go. I think <laughs> that's great. I think, uh, I think I'm going to have to go with uh, just like she's one of the virgins and she's just the, the quiet one that just doesn't speak. Yeah. Oh, right, right. <laughs> just sort of staring back at. Right. Uh, with the blonde. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow. Toast okay, awesome. the unknowing, I think. Uh, or yes. toast the knowing, wasn't that? There's a whole story about where that comes from. It was some crew guy's catchphrase from the movie and, and like. Miller heard it and then he put it into the movie. It, it's in the book. It's in, I, huh. I'm doing a terrible job, but in in Blood and Chrome, they explain what toast the knowing means, and it was this it was this thing that was in the crew, and it, I think it came from one of the Australian crew guys. So hmm. anyway, so she's toast the knowing Tilda Swinton. There you go, toast the knowing. Perfect, nice. Um, I'm gonna have her go with the uh, is it the human eater? What's his name or the people eater? The people eater, I think. The right? people eater, the head of Gastown, who has oh, the yeah, nose, yeah, yeah. has yeah, the I'll, nose. Yeah, thing. Yeah, like, yeah. I just sure. want to see her in the nose thing. Seems yeah. like that'd be very cool. <laughs> very might have been a, might have been a reference to Tycho, to famous astronomer Tycho Brahe, who also had a face fake nose after mm. he lost it in a fencing accident. Mm. Unclear, mm. possibly. Nice, we did it, you guys. A great movie and a great selection by Ryan. Ryan, uh, if you could have one prop from this movie, what would it be? Oh my God, that's that's a fantastic question. I, I have we have uh, we have talked about this in the podcast because there's um, actually Dave Mandel, my my co-host, has uh, Max's muzzle. He has one no. of the one of the uh, get the one, fuck the, the, out. So, the soft muzzles because they they had they made a metal one, I guess, but like it was right. so it was so yeah. awful that like he yeah. wouldn't wear it, and so there were obviously there were a few of 
of them because he wore it for so many days. So they probably had sure. a bunch of them, but he has one of the used, and I think he matched it actually. It's one of the, it's one of the soft, soft cast yes. uh, muzzles, which is just, that's fucking great. But it has to be the jacket. The jacket is like, to me, that's the icon yeah. from all of those films is the Mad that's Max That's my jacket. jacket. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, which jacket is it? And which iteration? And when you look at you, I just stare at it and like, there's so much interesting stuff going on and you know that the costume department just lavished hours and hours putting all this story detail into there that you'll never see on screen that'll go by in a million miles an hour but it has to be the jacket for me that's great um, yeah what about you guys that is incredible well, i'm gonna i'm gonna ride the war rig take put my put some car <laughs> seats good. in that thing take that to the <laughs> take that to the preschool come on you guys pb and j although i can't as as we covered last week i can't drive sticks so i don't know if that's gonna yeah. work out for me <laughs> Uh, actually, well, yeah, I wanted to ask Jason, let me see, uh, catch us really quick. This is the sequence. One, one, two, one, red, black, go. go. Okay. You have it? You have it? Give me no. that sequence back, I don't, Jason. I don't, I don't, I, I, I thought of this, I thought of this when I saw it in the movie. I was like, <laughs> I, I don't have it. Like, yeah. that's not my, this is, that's not a thing that my brain doesn't work that way. That's Griff, Griffin. <laughs> Griffin and Junior in the back seat. They're like, Dad, come on, start the war rig. Listen, no, he, got, he got very... the kill sequence. He just can't get it into first gear. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Stall it out. There are very few jobs I would be good at in the in this particular dystopian apocalypse. I mm. would it wouldn't it's not a place in which my skill set, there's not a lot of spreadsheets that these people are gonna Then you just get on the wheel, buddy. On. You're just up on the wheel. That's your job. Good there job. There are very few uh, podcasts that's right. on the Fury Road for <laughs> exactly. all of us. Who wants to talk about exactly. movie history? <laughs> yeah, go on, you guys. You guys are making bullets. Let's talk about live and let die. I'm gonna pass you because I'm taking the V8 Interceptor Pursuit Special. Like I, that, yeah, yeah, that oh, I fuck yeah. Good call. That would, yeah, yeah, that'd be amazing. Or just like one of the steering wheels. The steering wheels seem seem incredible. Oh man, Ryan. Anything else you have to plug? Um, in addition to the incredible podcast and TV show you're doing. No, thank you. Just, uh, just a need for sleep. I think I would like <laughs> yeah, to plug, yeah. plug my own sleep. No, it, 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 it's great. And, and, um, I, I would like to, um, thank my very understanding wife and family for continuing to indulge my, uh, outside of uh, house of the dragon interests that keep me sane, mm, um, because, yeah. uh, it does swallow your life, but no, very, very excited. We're, we're in the, in the cool bits now and it won't be long before we get to share season two. Uh, we're coming up at the end of the season of the podcast, but please, uh, Come uh, download us on all your little podcatchers. It's uh, the stuff dreams are made of. Um, we have lots of uh, interesting episodes left to come uh, this season. I'll plug for folks. Um, you guys had an episode called Conan the Librarian, where you had John Walsh, who was the author who wrote the official story of Conan the Barbarian. Yeah, the new making of. I loved it so much, your discussion, that I immediately DM'd him and said, hey, would you come on to Escape Hatch to talk about Flash Gordon? Because he did a book on Flash Gordon, which arrives tomorrow. Oh. Oh yeah, great. Uh, from uh, from my local bookstore. So uh, he's coming in two weeks. He's such a good interview. Yeah, yeah, good. yeah, really great. So amazing. Great. Awesome, Ryan. Get some rest. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for being Thank here. Thank you we so really much for doing this, it, man. man. Really good to see it. you. Always good to hang out. I love it. Holy shit! Can you believe that? Always a pleasure to have Ryan Gondal on. He's yeah. a great guest. Great Potter. Great movie expert. And a nice guy. Lover of film. Nice guy. Nice guy. Really amazing. Yeah. Golly. Okay. Well, Ryan, thank yeah. you so much for, for being here. That, that was fan fantastic. How about if we do some uh, voicemails? 
Voicemails from beyond. <laughs> okay, here's the first one. The truth sayer. Hey, Alberia here. Man, what a movie. Fury Road. For the truth sayer today, we're going to look at Charlize Theron, who has led quite a remarkable life. Here's three stories about Charlize. Two of these are false. One is true. It's truth saying time. Number one. When Charlize was six years old growing up in South Africa, she had a huge fight with her mother. Charlize ended up trying to run away riding one of the family's goats. Her mom caught up with her six miles down the road. That's story number one. Story two, Charlize has had some significant injuries in her acting career, but none weirder than landing in the hospital for five days after laughing too much while watching Borat. Or is it number three? Charlize and her mother now live two minutes away from each other in L.A., They've made a reputation among their friends as fantastic cooks, often hosting week-long progressive food extravaganzas. Sign me up. Which one of those three stories is true? That is wild. That is wild. All of that's that's insane. I'm going with the goat. I'm definitely taking the goat. Oh, I'm going with extravaganza because that felt like so specifically, like it just felt so specific that I could see it happening. I want to be invited to a, a progressive food extravaganza also. At Charlize's house. I mean, anywhere would be fun. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Let's see who it was. All right. Which one of those three stories about Charlize Theron is true? It was number two. The laugh so much at Borat that you end up in the hospital for five days story. She went to go see the film while she had a pre-existing herniated disc in her neck. She laughed so hard that her neck locked up. She had to call an ambulance to take her to the hospital. Though the movie came out about 15 years ago, Theron said she's never had a chance to pick up where she let off. Reportedly, oh she was God. heard yelling, my neck. <laughs> that was a terrible point. And that I was apologize. Terrible. Here ends the truth saying. Oh, man. Oh, my God. Beria. Good one. Thank you, Really sir. good. Putting in a lot. I love Borat. It's a great movie. Great, yeah. Great movie. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Here's our next voicemail. Hello, Bog Pod. Hey, Bog Pod. Hello, Bog Pod. Hello, Bog Pod. Hey, Bog Pod. Bog Pod. Bog Pod. Hey, Bog Hatch. This is a big deal. This is exactly what I wanted from Bog Hatch, you know, season 65, part 43, the big ones. I adore this movie. It is the greatest documentary about Australian life ever. Straight live feed from the Bog. I remember being in, in primary school. A friend of mine was walking around the school. We were all 10 years old. He was telling everyone he was going to be in the next Mad Max movie. He'd already been in a few like photo shoots for Big W and like stuff like that. Mm. And eventually he wasn't because he found out he had to shave his head and that scared him too much. So he decided not to. Oh, wow. And then in 2015, like two years later, it was the first MA15 or R-rated movie I ever watched in the cinema. Had my face melted off, came out of the cinema like a different person. I was 12 years old at the time. Jesus. You know, I changed my laptop wallpaper to a low quality JPEG of the Doof, wa- Doof Warrior. Mm-hmm. The Doof Warrior. Mm-hmm. Coma Doof. Coma Doof. For like two straight months. And I was the worst person to be around. I would not stop talking about Mad Max. And here we are again. Furiosa, also adjacent to me, shot in New South Wales. I know one of the camera assistants. It's ridiculous. Wow. This and The Last Jedi in the same season. Is this the greatest season of Escape Hatch in human wow. history? Whoa. I think so. Dang. <clears throat> I'm happy. God, I'm tired. Oh, I just wore myself out with that one. <laughs> Kisses. Still going. <sighs> That's it. Ethan. I love it. Oh, man. It's great to hear from our own little war pup. Mm. 
I think I was 10 probably when I saw Mad Max, the original Mad Max. And that effed me yeah. up for sure. <laughs> oh my God. I love, I, I, I'm, I'm so excited to get this. It's great to just have so many Australians uh, in our discord and be able to celebrate their country Hell in this yeah. way. Hell um, yeah. It's a great, it's a great travel documentary for Australia. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. All right. Thank you so much, Ethan. Here's our next voicemail. Hello, Escape Hatch. It's Kev here. And boy, am I excited about this week's movie, Mad Max Fury Road, a movie that for me and so many others uh, really changed the game when it came out in the summer of 2015. Kev's question. Um, <laughs> this is a movie about the open road. And we see a lot of unique hood ornaments. Sometimes mm. it's guys with electric guitars that breathe fire. Other times it's, it's Max himself. So Kev's question, in a lawless post-apocalyptic desert world like that of Mad Max Fury Road, what is your hood ornament? I think I would have the mm. same setup that Max was in, except, of course, the legendary, imitable Barry Manilow would be my human hood mm. ornament. And I would press the horn and he would uh, sing the song Daybreak for about 15 mm. seconds. Every single time. Because what's what's the world of Mad Max if you're not inflicting punishment upon everyone but you? Yeah, hey. No one loves Barry Manilow in this circle more than me. <laughs> all right. Interested to hear what you think. Shout out to Ryan Condal. Peace and love. And I will talk to you all very soon. Once again, it's Kev's Questions. Yeah. Now, wait, wait. wait. Can I get a, a shout out from, from Kev for the editing team? Like the, there's no more, no, no more shout outs for the editing team. No, no more, no more shout outs for the editing team. Okay. Sorry. Continue. You don't get a special additional shout out. He already gives you peace and love oh, okay. that's as much as you get. Okay. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> okay. Continue. Well, I think since we had Ryan, I think since we have Ryan on this episode, mm. I think my hood, hood ornament would be like a, like, you know, uh, Star Wars action figure of some sort, like, mm. or maybe even a full ship, like maybe, maybe like, you know, um, like an X-Wing um, on, on the hood, I think would look really cool. And like, you could, uh, it could be wired such that when you hit the nitro burning funny car switch, like the little like lead, like red LEDs light up, um, like the lasers. I think that would be good. I'm going with that. I'm glad you had the same idea. Like as soon as the apocalypse, oh. as soon as the apocalypse starts, you and I are going down and we're raiding Ryan and Ryan's Dave's house. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yes, we're, getting, we're stealing for Ryan. What the X wing from Dave? Uh, I'm going to go to Ryan's and I'm going to get Conan's sword and definitely mount that uh, up on the top. I like that our version of the purge is just stealing from nerds. Like that's <laughs> what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen in the purge is that we steal from. <laughs> Other nerds. We're sentimental. We're sentimental. All right, here is our final voicemail. Escape Hatch. Hey, this is Corey calling from Austin, Texas, about the 2015 action masterpiece, Fury Road. Holy shit. This movie kicks so much ass. Uh, The whole Mad Max series of films are some of my favorites. They're so much fun. The original Mad Max is great. Road Warrior is, of course, like 
the one of the most awesome movies I ever saw in my life. And then uh, I even loved Beyond Thunderdome, and this movie did not disappoint. I was a little skeptical when it was coming out. I didn't mind that Mel Gibson wasn't going to be in it. That wasn't a problem. I was excited that George Miller was still involved. I mean, after his amazing run of, you know, Babe, Pig, Pig in the City and Happy Feet 1 and 2, you knew he was, like, at the top of his game to do this one. Mm. So, um, mm. yeah. Uh, all kidding aside, um, George Miller's section on the Twilight Zone movie, did you know he, he worked on that? He no. did this did segment know. with John Lithgow. That was based on the Shatner one that was on TV. It was oh, a really cool. great one. Uh, it's like terror at I remember watching that, yeah. Like that. Anyway, uh, love George Miller. I love all the practical effects in this movie. Uh, even the stuff that they did with CGI looked really great. Uh, all the costuming, the cars, everything. Awesome. So fucking good. I have no complaints about this movie. I still haven't watched it in black and white. I don't know if I would enjoy it more. I really like it in color. Uh, everyone kind of swears by the like black and white version, though. So well, I'll have to check it out someday. Uh, who would Tilda Swinton play? I'm gonna go with the dude who's got like that cool, like, kind of, uh, Egyptian head dress thing made out of bullets. I mean, like bullet teeth. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. In that outfit. The That'd butcher. Really good. All right. Uh, I'm excited about this one, guys. I uh, hope, uh, it's an excellent episode. Actually, I don't have to hope. I know it's gonna be. Mm. All right. Love you guys. Bye. I love you, Corey. Uh, check this out. Listen to this. Oh, I almost forgot. You know what else George Miller directed? <laughs> no, not Lorenzo Zoyle. He did direct that. Witches oh, of motherfucking Eastwick. When's the oh, last yeah. Oh. The Witches of Eastwick. You know who's in there? One of our favorite women actresses of all time. Yeah. If you don't know, I'm sure you'll do a little Google and find out. She's the one who throws up all the little cherry bits. All right. I love Witches of Eastwick. Okay, that's it. Bye. <laughs> love you, Corey. Oh, Always man. great to hear from Corey. Yes. I love, I love, I, I'm just happy that Corey exists in the world. He's out there just doing it. I'm not surprised that, that Corey, you know, A, would love Beyond Thunderdome. Like that definitely, no. that that scans. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I can Corey, imagine. Corey head faked me uh, in the previous episode where he did the whole thing about how he didn't like Star Wars. Mm. And I was like, what? And it was a, it was a scam. He scammed me. That was tough. All right, Corey, thank you so much. Jason, we have one more very special voicemail, but we always love to hear from this third or fourth living host of Escape Hatch. Yeah. Hey, what's up, Escape Hatch? It's your uh, buddy old pal, JLB, uh, with a couple comments about uh, Mad Max's 1973 Ford Falcon XBGT. Uh, that was, you know, the Falcons were cool cars. Um, and I, I had a big book of Fords. I think I talked about it before. And it, what always struck me about the Falcon was the utility of the vehicle. They had a Falcon that was like an El Camino. They had a Falcon that was a sedan. Hmm. They had a Falcon that had like a van cap and you can make a passenger van out of it. So it was like a multi-use platform for Ford back in the seventies. Now the XBGT came with a 351, which was along the same lines as the uh, Broncos 302 that we talked about last episode that I uh, dispatched. Mm. Uh, and I have a little bit of fanfic about the 351 used in this movie. <laughs> now, all you love John Wick. John Wick drives a Boss 429. That's a 429 Windsor motor from Windsor, Ontario, uh, with Cleveland. <laughs> heads on it so it becomes a 351 cleveland heads 
bolted onto a 351 Windsor frame, and you get the Boss 351. That's what it means. The Cleveland heads, the semi-hemi Ford Project heads from Cleveland <laughs> bolted onto your Windsor, or back then called Challenger motors, uh, and they would be thrown into these uh, small block, uh, what do you call it, configurations, and they would produce high horsepowers. In fact, Ford got this idea from Chevy when the Camaro started blowing people out of the water with their small block 305s hmm. and uh, 350s. So I think knowing those two grease monkeys from Mad Max, they they know the lore of the boss motors, and they themselves take a crate 351 Windsor, throw the Cleveland heads on it, throw that futuristic blower on it, lower it into the Falcon, and that's how you're able to get the beast, the, the just gas chugging anti-Tesla Ford Falcon <laughs> that we see in this movie. Hope this helps anybody. Uh, have a great episode. Love you all. Bye. I love, I love Jonesy's various areas of expertise. He's like, so he's so thorough in what he knows. Yeah. I, I'm working on a sounder because I want to do it right. We do need a sounder. Yeah. It's got to be the sound of both a car starting up, but then also like someone getting hit with nunchucks. I like it. So we're take that. That's my art direction. Jonesy's corner. Jonesy, thank you. We love you. What an episode, Jason. It was a good episode. He was great. I love it. Ryan Condal, great guest, great insights, great prop collector. Yeah. Um, I, I'm excited Amazing. to. Uh, I'm excited to have him on yet again. Yeah, exactly. Now that we're his good luck charm. Oh my God. Have you seen have you seen his email? The one he said he was sending us, it titled My Wild Night Last Night. Check your email. Let me see. <laughs> no, I haven't gotten it yet. Okay. Well, anyways, we'll see. We'll see it when it comes. All right. Jason, what do you have to plug, buddy? I plugged a podcast appearance already. Excited for folks to excited for folks to see that. Um, Holy he, shit. Yeah, there you go. Oh there my go. god. It's pretty strong. It's pretty strong. Uh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. Nice job, Ryan. Uh yes, you already plugged your <laughs> sorry, you plugged your podcast appearance. It's obviously important. Um and what else? Uh I don't know. Baldur's Gate um, 3? Baldur's Gate 3, I finished it. I beat Baldur's Gate 3. I saved the world. No, but where are you on the replay? I'm in the middle of Act 1 now. <laughs> uh, I mean, I've been away for a while, so I didn't have a chance to dig into it. But yeah, I'm on the replay now. It's great. Baldur's Gate is great. Yeah, so it's going great. I salute you, my friend. We're going to get through there. Things are about okay. to slow down. You know, then we just had the holidays. Yeah, I just need to make it through the next week without, um, without difficulty. We'll <laughs> without, see how it goes. Without losing your mind. Good luck. Yeah, it's it's touch and go right now. I will. I'll witness you. Witness me! <laughs> and that's it for this episode of Escape Patch. I want to thank Jason and Ryan for an unreal conversation. Next week, Jeremiah Gordon is back. We finally tackle our very first Denzel, Spike Lee's Inside Man. If you're enjoying the show, we need your help. Take a minute to leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast, or just tell your friends about us because it really does help new listeners find the show. We also have a Discord server where you can hang out with us online whenever you want, and a Patreon where you can support us and unlock exclusive perks. Links are in the show notes. 
Skate Patch is a Tape Deck Podcast, John, a production of H Industries. Our artwork is by Catcher, and our theme music was composed by Scott Fritz and Who's the Boss Music. The episode was edited and produced by me, H. Thanks for listening. We'll see everybody next week.